episode number 102, along with my dear friend, Hotshot Scott Soden, today featuring an Iron Maiden t-shirt. It's one of the... And I say today, and you might wonder, okay, well, when people are listening to this, yeah. I won't be wearing it. I'm wearing it on the day that we're recording. Well, you'll probably... Knowing you, you'll probably be wearing it tomorrow. I was going to say, how do you Tuesday, know? Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday, right. Thursday. So probably when people are listening to this, you're still wearing the Iron Maiden. It, it looks like it's never been worn. It's beautiful. Is that a brand new shirt? Bought it in Burbank and forgot I had it. Oh, so, that's yeah. always a nice thing when, Isn't you, it though? when you discover oh. a shirt or something, pair of underwear, so, uh, short <laughs> shorts or something that well, you've not, never worn, except when you go to put it on and then it doesn't fit you the way it did when you oh, bought it yeah. a couple of months earlier. So, you know, these football shorts that yeah. I wear every time I come over, I have like six pairs of them and they're all really old. And then I found a brand new pair. I was so I, I couldn't believe it. They look like they haven't been worn. Really? From 10 years ago. Really? And I love these shorts. And I put them on, and then I realized <laughs> why I never wore them. <laughs> why? Pocketless. That oh. is no good, is it? Pocketless <sighs> Don't shorts. get me started on the pockets, because oh. we'll end up in Betty Crocker, and it, 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 it'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll unravel from there, 101P. Yeah. Wait, what but I am to Oh, 101, yeah, I got you. I, 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 I am not. <laughs> that was I don't want to go. I don't want to go there, because you're going to think <laughs> I'm the weirdest guy. I'm not a side pocket guy. I don't like anything in my side pocket you want outside shorts? of money. <laughs> yeah, do you want the shorts? They fit you perfect. That's the only thing I will put in side pockets. Really? Yeah. I don't like side pockets. Wait, on everything or just shorts? Like, Almost anything I don't like putting in side oh, pockets. So I love pockets. if I wear shorts, I, I, I like the back pocket, but if I wear shorts that have side pockets on and I'm going out, I need to bring my wallet or something. Keys and, and all that. I will literally, even if it's 125 degrees, wear a jacket so that I have pockets in the jacket. <laughs> what? Like a, yeah, I don't like. I don't what like. What is the it about the side? Pocket? I don't know. I don't like the feeling of things huh. in there. It just bothers me when I sit down. It kind of pulls and tugs yeah. at stuff. That's I don't like anything bulky. I can go with money again. Cash is so thin. Yeah, yeah. I can go with that, and I don't put money in a wall. I don't even have a wall. I have like a rubber band. But yeah, I'm not a side pocket guy. Uh, I know I'm weird. I'm not. A, I'm not. And, and by the way, I don't even know how I got onto this subject because I wanted to do something. A couple of things. We need to get some things out of the way before we even start the tea section. So some business you're saying. Well, not even business. We have. I mean, the tea section is not the official start of 102. It's kind of the warm up. But we've got to do something before we even warm up for 102. We've got to do a few things. All right. I'm ready. Some business. Because while you were like. Too busy making your billions on a real FM morning show. We, you know, I hosted a KJR, an AM, a little rinky-dink AM radio show for about 22, 23 years. AM radio was still around back then? It was around. Oh, okay. Nobody could get it, yeah, even yeah. in downtown Seattle. <laughs> right. And we had traditions. We had a couple of traditions on the morning show that I think we've got to do here on Mitch Unfiltered before we go one step further on episode 102. Okay. So you've got to kind of get up to speed on this because, oh. again, you were with Rob Tepper and the oh, team, yeah. man, and you weren't doing stupid things like we were. Well, you probably were doing stupid things like we were. You sure were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbing of America. <laughs> That's what we call so, it. So, and it, this kind of coincides with opening day in Major League Baseball was like Thursday since the last time you and I were together yeah. on 101 P. So we have to do this. <laughs> Someone once said, you don't grip a baseball. A baseball grips you. Dave, baby. 
fills our days and brightens our nights over the course of a season and the span of a lifetime. We share hope, drama, and joy. It brings us all closer together, nine innings at a time. It's the game we live. It's the game we love. Wow. Welcome back, baseball. Welcome back. Great! Oh, if he, let's say he were still alive and doing Mariners. Would, yeah. you, would you think of him up there with Vin Scully and all the greats, the uh, Jack Bucks? Like, is he that good, or do we just love him? I think we, I, I think we love him because he's ours. Okay, and he was from the beginning of the franchise yeah. existence. It's not like he came in later or whatever. Yeah. I'm two he, years old when he hit. But, the mic. but he's, he's. Uh, I think others consider him in that conversation. Okay, that's right. I'm. I'd be too much of a home. I don't even know that I can evaluate that. Okay, except to say that. I mean, you hear that voice. I know. So that oh. you want to know the the tradition of the morning show, on opening day, on on opening day for the Mariners every single year. I think we would open each hour of our show. I don't know how many hours you did on Cube FM. <laughs> We did the six, the seven, the eight, the nine. So we had four hours. As did we, we. Yes. Uh, we always open the hours every hour oh, on nice. opening day with Dave Niehaus. That's nice. And, and you, I thought you were looking like it was corny. Uh, did, did you find it corny? Because you're an FM guy. And, uh, yeah. I don't know if did, it's did it our style, it's, really, but I appreciate Dave Niehaus. <laughs> Who's our style? Well, like our, you, our, you, our show. I don't think we would have done that, but I, yeah. I can appreciate it. I, I mean, like it. But you're okay? Yeah, sure. Okay, and then, the, Dave. and then the other thing, you know, we're recording this on a Sunday. It's episode 102. And then the other thing we always did, which was tradition on the morning show, okay. was after the Mariners win... Wasn't very often. <laughs> we didn't sing very often, but after they won, yeah. we sang. Can you can you hang with us? Am I expected to hang right now? I don't know. If you want to, it's not that hard to figure it out. And it's no name never. won because they probably hadn't won in a while and in this case they hadn't won in a long long time oh yeah as we sit here on a sunday recording this and one more time seven to six over houston questions for you about how this came about. It's like a Celtic band from Boston has no ties to baseball well, at actually, all. Well, actually, it's an an old Irish drinking song. They 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 redid it. They covered it. It's somebody, it's some old folklore okay. singing group. That's that kind of who they are, yeah. the dropkick. They're like so you're going to ask, rock. I know what you're going to ask. What's the connection to baseball? Mm-hmm. What's the connection to any of anything? How did that Boy, even this, start? This is going to be the most disappointing answer I've ever provided you, and I know I've provided you a lot of <laughs> Saying answers. Saying something. I have no idea. <laughs> really? I don't. <laughs> no idea how it I started? Knew you were gonna, I have no idea how we started singing it after me. I don't under. 
it was almost my, my guess. This is just a guess because I don't vividly remember a morning where we started. We did it for years and years. Okay. I want to say Slickhawk, but it might have even preceded him. But I think it was Slickhawk. Do you know Slickhawk? I never met him. No. Okay. Um, Matt Mickless, Slickhawk okay. from the old morning show. I just think maybe they had won a big game one year, and I know that they don't play very many big games when you're 46 <laughs> games under 500. Yeah, Slickhawk was but there I, in 2001. I, I kind of feel like they won a big game one night, like in extra innings, maybe over the Yankees. I don't know. I'm okay. just guessing right now. And we went in, and everybody was kind of giddy the next morning because we were all baseball fans. And he played this song as just a bumper coming out, and we just started singing, and all of our eyes were like, that's it, we're playing that song every single morning after Mariners' victories the previous night, which means we're playing it another 25 <laughs> times this season. Wait, did you do that one every hour, too, or no? No, 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 I don't just, think so. Just okay. like once, maybe twice, once once a day, once a morning after they won. And then it and then it just kind of deteriorated into, into a controversy, like, do we sing it? People were singing it in their cars, taking their kids to school. The kids were singing it. They were sending me videos of them singing <laughs> really? it. So, yeah, we would play the videos. So it, it caught on a little bit, the 12 people that listened to the show. And then there was controversy over, okay, on Monday mornings, do we play the Wild Rover and sing it if they won on Sunday, even though the last time we were together was Friday morning. They could have lost Friday and Saturday like <laughs> right. 25 to nothing. Then one on Sunday, we wouldn't be feeling good about it because they only won one out of three. Yeah. Do we sing it? Do they have to win two out of three? Do they have to win on Sunday? It became <laughs> we had we had polls and votes and like 12 people would vote and it was very, very exciting. <laughs> Things are always <laughs> difficult in radio, aren't they? Just always <laughs> difficult. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. But it's a very, it's a very singable, kind of catchy fun it's song catchy. yeah it's catchy i like that irish rock of flogging molly and all that and stuff. and you know as people listen to 102 it's probably monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday whatever it is but just know that on sunday the mariners are already lost twice pretty handily yeah. to the astros they're already owing two and they won on the Sunday, and immediately I started getting emails and tweets and so forth. Oh. You guys better sing the song <laughs> on 102. Did Fane sit there and sing with you, too? Fain, everybody, everybody. He was into it? Oh, oh. <laughs> Fane. More than anyone. Oh, huh? Come on. He get out his banjo. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's known for his he's, singing, isn't no, he? But he's, no, he's very musical. Dick Fane is very musical. Is that musical. right? Yes. Yes. He's like a, like a, a chorus dork in uh, high school. I think or? he was a singer. Yeah, okay, I didn't know I think that. he plays some. I think he plays piano. I play a little piano. Oh, I, wow. I think he's very musical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He would. He'd make us all look bad. Boy, regular yeah. air supply in the mornings there. <laughs> KJR. God. Regular air supply. <laughs> How did we ever beat you guys in the ratings? Holy crap. <laughs> You'd have to first by being able to hear our station. Yeah, it would I be know. a help. It would be a help. It would help. Sure. It, it would. It would help. So anyway, we've now done the two. Uh, the two staples of baseball season in the morning. Show. Glad it could be. We've heard from Dave. I loved it. Welcome back, baseball. So great that voice. Welcome back. Now, what's going to happen for? Because not everyone's a patron. So what if oh. they? Well, I don't know. I want to break it to you, but not everyone's a patron. So what yeah. happens? Everybody should be a patron. I agree. I, I haven't gotten there yet. Not. But yeah, 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 yeah. They, they didn't get to hear me telling someone to f off. I mean, that's you know, top quality <laughs> entertainment right there. But what happens? They didn't hear me ripping Betty Crocker. <laughs> I know. People are so confused on Twitter seeing all those tweets from oh you my about God. frosting. Well, well, people have been I, – I, I don't know that I've, I've gotten a reaction. The way we've gotten the reaction from the Patreon episode about Betty Crocker, that may be the – this is what's <laughs> pathetic about what we do. I think I've gotten more mail on that than anything else. Right. Oh, people are like, how do you not know that? Yeah. I'm the last – again – 
and this is not the first time I'm the last guy to know something on the face of the earth. But anyway, Seahawks, what were you going to ask? What well, was the patron question? Well, what's going to happen if they if they win? Like, when are you going to play the song? Are you going to are you going to play it if they win? The oh, death? I don't know that we'll ever play it again. Oh, is that right? Yeah, we're not going to continue doing it. Yeah, maybe. We All right. You want to sing it again? Actually, KGR just called and said, you can't do that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, the Dropkick Murphys say I can sing it, but KJR says I can't. That's right. <laughs> anyway, okay, this is episode 102. We haven't begun. This is the tease. We're just getting warmed up. That's why we're not very good. <laughs> is that right? Okay. <laughs> and we won't be very good in, in the actual game time. We're kind of like the Mariners. That's right. We're bad in warm-ups and bad in the game. Anyway. The Seahawks signed Jamal Adams uh, and we're singing on the show oh, and talking about frosting. Yes, we're going to talk a lot about Jamal <laughs> sure. Adams. Subscribe, listen, and give us a five-star rating if it's in your heart. You can become a Mitch Unfiltered patron for five measly dollars per month and have access to the second show each week on Thursday. You think that the you think that the patron shows are different feeling? for you when we record them than the Monday shows? Or do you think they feel just about the same? You think there's more of a, what's willy-nilly mean? I wrote willy-nilly in my notes. Yeah, kind what of is, a, What does that even mean, willy-nilly? Like, Where'd that come from, willy-nilly? Kind of a, like a, a free spirit, uh, a little looser. Yeah, do you loose. feel that? Yeah, I, I kind of do. Well, I see. I, well, I don't have any kind of agenda to make the Thursday shows yeah. more willy nilly, but they kind of come out feeling a little more willy nilly. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe it feels more like stream of consciousness. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a it's like a club where we you know we're in the clubhouse, and I don't know. I don't but know why we are that like is. that on Sundays for the Monday yeah. shows too. Yeah. Is 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 it more structured? Do you think that the Sunday show just doesn't? I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah, it does feel know. a little different to me, but overall well, the same. Well, I can tell you from one hundred and one P. I never expected this. I have received terrific reaction to the golf tips from my friend and former PGA Tour stalwart, Rick Fair. It was, he was on 101P for the first time. I asked him to come on and just try to help us all be better golfers, yeah. whether we're 15 handicaps, 20 handicaps, 5 handicaps, 30 handicaps, and he did. And I, and I mentioned to a lot of our listeners and to our, you know, our social media following that we might do it on a regular basis during the summer. People loved it. Great. I actually, so I hope he helped you. I hope it helped your swing. <laughs> I thought it was interesting when when you were asking him for tips. He said, "Well, first we have to determine if somebody wants to get a lower score," <laughs> which I thought was kind. Of, he said, "Some people just want to drive at three fifty, and they yeah, don't care about. They want to have high handicaps when they play for money. Yeah, right. That so, kind of helps. That was interesting. You just assume everyone yeah. wants a lower score. So we had Rick Fair on. Good. We've had we had four guests on one hundred and one P. We also have Mick Hoffman, by the way. The WIAA executive director telling us what Washington State's going to do, shelving football until the spring, and then and then abbreviating all of the sports seventy percent. They're taking seventy percent of game action from all the sports out. So he was on one hundred and one P. Yeah, it was interesting. I I mean, I I don't know. It's better than taking everything out, right? It's a shortened season, but hey, at least you're going to play, kids. At least for now, it looks like you're going to play something. For for now, yeah, Yeah. for now. But those things can change. Yes, Uh, and on episode one hundred and two which is here, we got a chance to be, where well, we had a chance to be a home run show. This had the makings <laughs> of a great show, a home run. All right. We're going to have to settle for like a double in the gap. It's not a home run. Really? Yeah. That's a shame. We were a good cell phone away uh, from being a grand slam home run, but we'll have to settle for a double in the gap. Well, you haven't heard what I'm going to bring yet. I mean, maybe I'll punch us right back up to a home run show. Yeah. Yeah, not only the reason I thought this was going to be a home run show is not only do we need to discuss a Titanic week in Pacific Northwest sports yeah. 
And I say Titanic, I don't mean a drown, drowning week. I mean <laughs> a Titanic week for the Seahawks yep. and the NHL team here in the Pacific Northwest. But how, th- how about this lineup for guests on 101, on 102 rather? TV star, movie actor, stand-up comedian, game show host, TV producer, author, 1991 graduate of Mercer Island High School, 1995 graduate of the University of Washington. Heard of it. Was on the rowing team for a couple of days. <laughs> quit. A couple days. Walked on to the football team. Don James's last team in 1992 was a walk-on tight end, believe it or not. He only played one year of high school football his freshman year. He didn't even, he, he lied to get on the team. Is that right? Yeah. He didn't <laughs> yeah. play as a senior? I don't think so. Wow. I don't think so. Joel McHale. Now, what percentage of our audience will know Mercer Island native Joel McHale and all that his exploits on TV and film and all the stuff that he's done? I think he's pretty well known. I'm going to say 90% of our audience knows who he really? is. Really? Okay. Because he, he hosted The Soup for a while. He did. Which was, that was I, his big break. I love The Soup because it sort of caught you up on Wasn't it. that Craig Kilborn? And didn't he do Talk Soup? Wasn't it Talk it Soup was before talk it was The Soup? soup? Yeah. And who was the first guy that ended up being an actor, the blonde haired guy? I can't remember. Not before Craig Kilborn, there was a guy who was ended up being a, a, a motion picture actor. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can picture another guy with dark hair, though, who hosted it. He had like a little gray spot here on the top of his head. Anyway, yeah, okay. I, we, can, we can figure out who. Yeah, but okay. I, I love Joel. I loved watching The Soup. And So you know who he is. Yeah. You're familiar with his work. So he was an intern for Pat Cashman, former radio sure. star. Yeah. And I'm friendly. Almost Live. Well, he was on Almost Live, too. Yeah. And yeah. as a matter of fact, he was in a really funny sketch where they do a self-satisfying sniff contest. Like, you know, kind of like we do. Yeah. It was a sketch. It was people trying to one-up each other. Like, yeah, I'm going to go out on my uh, new boat this weekend. And then the next guy would like one-up him and keep sniffing Is that where we got the idea? I, I think we were doing it before that. Anyway, but I happen to see that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I happen to see that sketch, but I, I love Joel. I think yeah. he's really funny. Yeah. Well, just to give you the background of the, of the interview, and I, I'm going to apologize in advance. People know another thing from the old morning show that you may or may not be aware of from working with me. I'm kind of legendary on hating cell phones for interviews. Uh, yeah, I've heard, I've heard something about that. Okay, so you remember? You remember? <laughs> yeah. And I drove every producer nuts because I, I kind of insisted that guests be on landlines, even though no guest has a landline. Right. Well, you're going to hear, if you if you ever wondered, why is Mitch such a, such a stickler when it comes to cell phones and hard lines and all that stuff? Just listen to the Joel McHale interview. So Uh-oh. I went through his public. So here's here's the background of the story. And I know that we still haven't started the show. But anyway, some background information. Anyway, I, I come out about two months ago and to the family room and my kids and wife are all huddled around a TV watching a show I've never seen before. And they're watching it on Netflix. So it's an old TV sitcom that apparently has a new life on Netflix. And they're watching it. And I see Chevy Chase is on it. Oh, yeah. And this guy, Joel McHale, is on it. And it started a couple of months ago. When I tell you, they started watching this thing morning, noon, and night. A person who wanted to watch something else in this household didn't have it didn't stand a chance with these guys. <laughs> Not it was called Community. Have you ever seen the show Community? I feel like I've seen every episode. 
As a matter really? of fact, yeah, we watched it. We watched it when it came out. You're kidding. Yeah. You and Piper and, and No, the, Piper was too young. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no. My wife and I watched it. So you everyone. know the show. Yeah, sure. Jillian so Jacobs. I, so, I, so I say to them, what do you watch? And they say community and Joe McHale's in it and whatever, Chevy Chase. And I had never heard of it. I guess it was an NBC sitcom yep. years earlier. I had never heard of it. And they just love it. And I said, you know, that guy right there, I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with him. He's a Seattle guy. So I start looking it up while they're watching community. And they're like, dad, you got to have him on the show. He's the star. He's the star of community. You got to have him on, and then you got to ask questions that we want you to ask him. And I was like, no, no, I think I'll come up with the questions. <laughs> I got this. I, I think I can, I can do this. Yeah. So I started looking it up, and I f- realized he he went to Mercer Island High School. He went to the University of Washington. I start seeing that he was on the rowing team, but he was hazed, and he thought they were assholes, and he quit. Um, and then he walked onto the football team and lied to get on the team. Told the tight end coach <laughs> that he was a star high school. Uh, a bad summer. time but to he walk was a on t- for six him. Four, yeah, he's a big and boy, he, and he was much thicker then than he is now. And so I started to learn the story, and I called or I wrote to his publicist. You know, he's a big star he is yes he's a big star no i know he is he's done feature films i mean so yeah. i say to that so you know studio max, movies so max says i'll bet you he'll, he'll come on i'll bet you he remembers you oh he, he may, might yeah. just remember you from kjr now he wouldn't listen to cube he would only listen to kjr uh, well yeah, yeah sports fan yeah. you know whatever number one people 2554 <laughs> okay, yeah okay. Uh, maybe yeah. he knows you guys too so i send a note to his publicist his publicist sends a note to him and a few days later i hear he's in exclamation mark Great. So that's great. So he's going to do the show. Nice. And so we start negotiating on what day, and she picks a day. Oh, he's he's filming card sharks right now. The return of card Is sharks. That right? on like AB. <laughs> so he's got like a two week run of filming card sharks. Good I'm like, him. okay, yeah. we'll wait till card sharks is over. <laughs> and she says, card sharks will be over on this particular Monday. And can you record it at such and such a time on Monday? And I said, sure, whatever. And and so we record uh, there's this past Monday. So I he calls in to record the interview. Okay. And I can hear like traffic. Yeah. He's driving. Okay. Okay. Multitasking. And I write to her, the publicist, I'm not big on cell phones, but if he's in a quiet place and we get a good cell zone, I'll 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 manipulate the the, the audio, we'll make it work. Okay. He calls me from Bluetooth speaker heaven. On the on the eye, what is it? The four oh five, whatever. Yeah. I'm like Joel, I love you, but I this is not. I, he's like, hey, 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 are you ready? Uh, I can do it now. I'm like, yeah. oh no, this is not going to work. He says, I'm sorry. He says, I'm sorry. I got called in at the last minute to host the Jimmy Kimmel show, and oh. I thought he meant he's going to be a guest on that. No, no. He's going to be the guest host. I didn't even know they had guest wow. hosts on the Jimmy Kimmel. He's driving into the Jimmy Kimmel show to be the guest host. And his first guest is his favorite Seattle Seahawk, Russell Wilson. Oh, wow. So Mitch decides, okay, I'm going to get a leg up on this interview. Let's Can we record it tomorrow when you you got free time? Yeah, let's, call, let's do it at 5 o'clock. Okay. I watched the Jimmy Kimmel show that night. He's hosting from like he's standing in a pool the whole night, hosting the Jimmy Kimmel, cracking jokes. Yeah, talking when you to said Russell he's Wilson. driving in, where is he driving to? Because they're not doing it from a studio. Yeah, either. they must have been doing it from a, Holly, a, a Hollywood Hills home. Gotcha. Some Hollywood Hills. Uh, he literally hosted the show in a suit <laughs> in the pool the that's entire awesome. time. That's amazing. And he did this uh, Zoom interview with Russell Wilson, who just became a parent that's again. Right, you know yeah. that. And um, I watched, and the next day we do the interview, he calls again. Well, I never thought that I would wish I could have him back on the 405. Because it was, oh my God. (laughs) You're longing for him to be in traffic again. And I'm like, see, this is, people don't get this part of the whole equation. Yeah. I had to go through the publicist. 
I had, I had to do this for Max and Brett. I had to schedule. I had to miss a little golf. I had to, I, you know, I had to, you know, bend. This is not like Colin Brady Henderson of ESPN Seahawks fame. Yeah. I mean, it was our, and now he's calling. I can't understand. Why. He's so garbled. I, I said, where are you? He says, I'm in my garage. We should have great Wi-Fi because we have a little, a little studio set up in the garage. And I go, if I got Wi-Fi right here. Yeah. I'm like, ah. Can't understand one word. Maybe he was under the water in the pool again. Now, to his credit, now he's a, I, I don't, maybe not an A-list star, but he's a big star sure. in Hollywood. To his credit, he was bending over. He says, should I call you? And he calls me. Should I get rid of Wi-Fi? Should I get on the on the Bluetooth? Should I get off the, should I stand outside the car? Should I go inside? I mean, uh, we tried everything. Yeah. You'll hear the product. Uh, and so I, I did the interview and I sent it off to executive producer Steve Dion. I was like... You tell me. You make the call on this. And, you know, he was great. I mean, Joel was great. Yeah. He wants to come on during Seahawks. He's a huge Seattle sports fan. As growing up in Mercer, sure. a huge Seahawks fan, Mariners fan, wants the Sonics back. I think he said something like that in the interview. Anyway, so I send it off to Steve Dion, and I'm like, yay or nay? Kill it, hit the delete button, or try to play it. And he's like, no, no, I think it's better than your – you you, you low-balled you low the expectations well enough, like I'm doing right now, <laughs> that it's more audible than people. So there you go. Joel McHale is going to be on 102, and I hope you can understand one word that he says. Well, in 2020, I've listened to some podcasts, and people are always Zooming and Skyping, and it's yeah. not what it once was when you have people live in the studio. So I think people will be a little more understanding these days, even though I know he wasn't on a Zoom. But I think we've all lowered our bar. No, we've done, but ninety percent of the interviews that we do here are now on cell phones. I've, I've, I've learned to live with cell phones because otherwise you can't get anybody That's on. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that that I mean, this is this is radio ease or podcast ease, and no one cares about this. My my biggest deal with cell phones was the delay from when you finish talking and they hear it and start the yeah. same thing going backwards. But when you're doing a podcast and I can then edit it and tighten it up, I. I Virtually no, no problem. Virtually no problem with cell phones now. Until Joel, then Joel McHale comes along, and I can't understand the Hollywood actor. So you know the it. name Donald Glover or Childish Gambino, as he's also known. No, huge music star. He was also on Community. I just looked it up. I forgot about that. Donald yeah, Glover. Your kids would know Childish Gambino. Yeah, You're like. Emmy winner, yeah, know, like he was also on that show, so it was packed full of talent. So we got Joel McHale, who you'll uh, be able to hear, hopefully. Um, <laughs> the return of the Seahawks no table, as a, as a, as a, <laughs> and not the round table. We call it the no te- table. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, Joe Fan, NBC Sports Northwest Seahawks insider, and me. And then Dr. Eric Ding is back, Harvard ep- epidemiologist and scientist, to discuss the race for the vaccine. Ah, yeah. Imagine the reward for the company or individual who's the first to invent the vaccine for COVID-19. Yeah. I keep seeing that all these conspiracy theories about Bill Gates. He's only in it for the money. He's rooting for this and all that. Yeah. So those are the three guests. Plus, you and I have to start the show. We still haven't started (laughs) the show. At some point, we should. We should start the show and talk about the massive news in the Pacific Northwest in and around the world of sports. Okay? I'm ready. Okay. So Joel McHale, the actor from Mercer Island, the Seahawks. No table, a roundtable reaction with some insiders to the Jamal Adams trade. And Eric Ding, the doctor, the Harvard scientist on the global race for the COVID-19 vaccine. And it's all brought to you on episode 102 by my friends at Evergreen Golf Call. A crucial time financially for all of us 
Decisions that we make now will have major ramifications in the future. CEO Tyler Hay and I, a little chat here on episode 102. You'll hear part of that conversation. The website is evergreengk.com. Sign up for their newsletter, which is free. Zeke's Pizza, all 17 locations open. I think we've got 50% maximum capacity inside and outside seating. You're going to hear from President Dan Black. will be back here on episode 102. Craft beer growlers to your door by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the Northwest. The Daniels Broiler locations of Leshy, South Lake Union, Daniels, Bellevue at the top of Bellevue Place, all now open, all taking enormous precautions to make sure it is completely safe. It's time to catch up on those celebrations that we all lost to COVID, graduations, anniversaries, birthdays, Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses, and the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage, 425 250-3150. You will hear from Jordan Flowers again on this episode 102. You're crazy not to take a look at refinancing numbers on your home. 30-year fixed in the high twos, low threes. Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. This is episode 102, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. I don't know what to think of Michael Bennett anymore. Did you love the offsides? Did anybody jump more than Michael <laughs> Bennett? But you know, net net, he was a really good yeah. Seattle Seahawk. A really good That's Seattle right. Seahawk. Yep. And he he was an overachiever from the day he came out of college. He was a really good player. Yeah. But boy, it did not end very well. Unfiltered. Carrot cake has icing, does it not? Can they at least alert us yeah. when we start making a cake that everything we need to make the cake is not in the the box and we're going to get stuck now of course he's got a, a dad who's very ingenious okay and we've got something called the world wide web we made our own cream cheese frosting which i'm going to go ahead and say right now hot shots yeah if there were icing in the betty crocker <laughs> it wouldn't even have been a pimple on my ass mitch is unfiltered About 30 minutes into the show, yes. we begin the show, episode 102 with the incomparable, the inimitable, mm. hotshot Scott Soden. Did you happen to see the first pitch thrown at the Washington Nationals <laughs> game against the Yankees by our buddy, Dr. Anthony Fauci? Yeah, he flattened the curve. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. And I steal that from the people on Twitter who, uh, who wrote that out. That was, oh boy. Uh, now, I'm sure doing sports radio as long as you did, you guys have at some point talked about the worst first pitches ever. We've seen some pretty bad ones over the years, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, 50 Cent comes to mind. His yeah, I, I, I can't think of, okay. I can't visualize bad you know, opening pitches, but boy, the, now let's give the guy a break. I think he's 79 years old. Oh, is he that old? Okay. Yeah, I think he's he 79 years old. He played basketball, played high school basketball. I've seen the pictures of him on the basketball team. <laughs> They're fabulous. And and it's much more important that he he be able to do his job well than throw out the first pitch, but it was a stinker. I'm glad he's studying, or he was studying, <laughs> and he wasn't playing baseball. But you'll be happy to know that that moment will be forever immortalized in the baseball world because oh. it's getting its own trading card. Really? Yeah, they're putting out a trading card of that Jesus. moment. Just when he needs. He's wearing right? a mask. He's yes. wearing a wash. He's a longtime, I guess, Washington Nationals fan. Yeah, being in the nation's capital. Yeah, yeah. This is 102. 101 featured a guy who who was a little more athletic than Anthony Fauci. 
You had Philip Blanks on 101 catching a baby from the third floor down, dropped from the third floor of a fiery building. Did you hear that interview? How do you not like Philip Blanks and the way he came across Philip Blanks? I literally, this is going to sound cheesy and overdramatic, but I I got shivers listening to it a little bit. Like Dave Niehaus? Like when we had Dave Niehaus there? (laughs) Yeah, but even a little more. I mean, yeah, it just, it sounds corny, but Uh, I I literally got shivers like hearing him talking about the bond they're going to have and he wants to be in his life. And, And by the way, you said baby. And, you know, it's a, th- a three-year-old's bigger than a baby. That's a tougher catch. I think the kid was three. Yeah. And he's cartwheeling. Jameson. Yeah. Jameson Long, oh. I think the kid's name is. And he's out of the hospital. Oh, doing, is that right? Doing better. Great. The the daughter is still in the hospital because she had a lot of burns, but she's going to recover. These two, these two guys, the one that we had on. If you haven't heard, by the way, if you haven't heard 101 and listened to this guy, you got to listen to this guy. Yeah. Former, former <clears throat> U.S. Marine Corps guy, former junior college football player, just a sweetheart of a guy very humble very soft-spoken yeah he catches the girl the boy and then the other guy that i want to have on is the barber that goes into the fiery just goes into the flame he's just walking by he's like there's a there's a young girl up there i'm going in yeah and the people are like no don't go he's i'm going in and he goes right up to the third floor right in the middle of the fire to pull out an eight-year-old daughter who's going to live as a result of it so. you said something interesting that i you know we all think we would do that we all think we'd be heroes yeah. but you really don't know you don't know until you're are you really gonna run into a burning building i don't think i would i don't think i have the courage to do that i would try to catch the kid yeah if i hear that there's a kid in the building that's gonna be tough not to go but like you said you never know until you're faced with it we all like to think we'd do it but would we all have the guts and the courage to do it wasn't he just on his way to the gym is that did i is that what he said who's that the one that went into the fire no the the one who caught uh philip yeah i think he was just working out just going for a workout imagine his life just completely changed forever on his way to the gym all right before we actually begin the show even though we've already begun the show i have two two announcements to make number one may i again ask for all the listeners who enjoy mitch unfiltered and would like to see it stand the test of time to go back and hit the play button on as many episodes as you possibly can that you have not listened to. That helps. Yes. That helps with the the health and the long-term health of Mitch Unfiltered. And number two announcement is, look, people, listen. Hear my words. I don't care how many emails and tweets I receive. I am not and will not changing my opinion on the carrot cake from Betty Crocker. (laughs) Okay, we mentioned it during the tease. I'm going to say, uh, and then we're going to get off the subject. For those of you that are not patrons, you probably have no idea what we're talking about. I'm not going to go through it again. I'll give you the, 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 the Cliff Notes version. Max's girlfriend knows he loves carrot cake, is in the store, buys the Betty Crocker cake. I, I actually like to bake and so forth, but I've never baked a... A box cake. A box cake. Yeah. Never done that. You do it from scratch. Typically. I do it from scratch. Yeah. She she brings it to him. He says one late night, the two of us are, hey, Dad, let's do something together. Let's bake this cake, this carrot cake. It's beautiful on the box. It's got nice icing in the middle of the cake and icing on the top. We go to, we go to bake it, and something that I guess the rest of the universe knew that I didn't know, and that Max <clears> didn't know, I guess we're the only, and that she didn't know because she wouldn't have done it, yeah. is that it's only the cake cake part of the carrot cake. There's no icing. And it doesn't say, the box doesn't say no icing included right. or icing sold separately. It just shares the picture of what you think you're making. It's got beautiful cream cheese icing in the middle. The picture is beautiful. It's beautiful. It looks great it's on great. the box, yes. And I, I don't give a rat's ass what people say to me. <laughs> I don't care whether there's icing up on the shelves of the QFC right next to the cake. Oh, and sure. that's what, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm telling you again, there's nobody that's going to change my mind. If you're not going to put icing and 
the, the entire contents of the box so that you can make the cake. If you're not going to do that, fine. Not really fine, but fine. Yeah. Say in print on the box, icing not included or icing sold separately. Just be upfront and honest with Max and me. They lie. Betty Crocker <laughs> lied to Max and I, and that's all I'm saying about that. And I don't get. I, again, I've gotten tons of email. I could oh, I could share them with I've you. I've seen the I've tweets. tweets. Yeah. I don't care. People, save your save your fingies. Save your fingers. You're okay? in. You're you're gonna die on this hill. Tell me on the box <laughs> that we can't make the cake with the box because we can't. We can make the cake cake version. We yes, cannot, you can make the we cake. We cannot make the the any toy you got as a kid. I'm going. See, I didn't. I I, I swore I was going to do this. <laughs> any toy that you got as a kid. Yeah. That didn't have all of the pieces you needed. It would tell you on the box, batteries not included, yeah. something not included. That, that's all I'm asking for, and I'm, all, I'm off the subject. And for those that aren't patrons, occasionally on those shows, we talk about things other than carrot cake. <laughs> occasionally. So just so you know, if you want to join us. And golf lessons. All <laughs> right. right. Now, we've got two big items to get to before we go to the three interviews, which will also include a roundtable discussion or a no-table discussion about the big, the big news of the weekend here in the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle Seahawks trade. But before we get there, I, I say uh, my recommendation, because I have a longer spiel on my opinion of Jamal Adams and the trade that the Seahawks made. I say we get the other, not necessarily in order of importance, we get the other item off the table first. Okay. Even though it's probably, well, maybe more important, maybe not, but it's a shorter conversation. I think we can do away with it quickly. What do you think of the name Seattle Kraken? I've made it clear on the show. I think Seattle Kraken. I think it's great. I absolutely you love like it. it. And I think the logo is top notch. Both logos are like great. It. Okay, so you're all in. Uh, I love it. The little anchor with the space needle in the middle. Was I, there anything that they could have named that they, are you just all in because you just were going to be all in on anything? If, if they called the soccer? No, I think it's weak. I think it's weak. Metropolitan. Nah, it doesn't do much like, for me. Kraken's great. It's big and powerful and it's like water based and Seattle's surrounded by water on three sides. I mean, I think it works. I love it. So you think they did a good job? I think it's great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the podcast would be a lot better if we disagreed. So do you want me to fake like I don't like it? <laughs> well, we've discussed this before. I mean, you, not only do you like, I like saying it. it. I like the word Kraken. <laughs> yeah, you like it. I like the word Crackle, the, the chocolate bar. Oh, yeah. I love the word Kraken. I, I, the Seattle Kraken. Let's just put it this way. Let me, let me put it this way for you. It's a hell of a lot better than Climate Pledge Arena, okay? <laughs> yes, Where they're playing. <laughs> right. Okay? Uh, I'd rather call it the Crack House or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Now there's a there there are there is a section. I did a poll, and I'll give you the results of the poll. It seems like the vast vast majority of sports fans in Seattle either like it a little or love it. I think the vast vast minority don't like it at all. I think the people that don't like it is it's kind of a fictitious. Not there's not really a Kraken, right? It's like from the Pirates of the Car release the Kraken, right? Yeah, that's Clash it's of the Titans. It's it's, yeah. it's a it's like an urban myth or a sure. legendary yeah, yeah, yeah. water fi- like I don't a know Sasquatch. For I don't I don't know what Loch Ness monster is. It an octopus? What what is giant it? Is it octopus. dragon? No no it what lives, is it? it lives in the water. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a well, giant. Don't dragons go in the water? No. Dragons don't go in the water. No, they fly and breathe fire and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like a giant squid or giant octopus with okay. big long arms and it's in Clash of the Titans. It's great. So it's okay. But people, some people think that it should be a real thing. That's your nickname. I don't know. Well, the see, there's no bird called a Seahawk, by the way. Everybody knows that. I didn't know that. That's not a real bird. Okay. They changed the name. 
Yeah, there you go. Should we change that one too? Okay, here's the uh, the results of the poll. I said, okay, let's be unfiltered. The Seattle Kraken on the day that it was announced. NHL Seattle. I gave you four choices. Love it, hate it, just okay, don't give a shit. Those are the four choices. Uh, Love it, 61%. Just okay, 21%. So 82% of a few thousand, yeah, a few thousand, 1,500 people said... um, 82% either okay or better. Okay. Okay. Hate it 10% and don't give a shit 8%. All right. There you go. I did see. So I think it was a win. I think for them it's a winner. Yeah. I don't think think you're going to come up with a name that's going to have a better set of numbers than those. Did you watch the little trailer? Yeah. I saw the the announcement live. I watched it live. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be the first to tweet the, the name. Nice. I wasn't. <laughs> I, I, I saw somebody on Twitter say, I thought this was so funny. To all of you outraged by this name, Kraken, just remember, baseball has two teams named after socks. All right? So just shut up. This isn't that bad compared to socks. Right? Or red socks? Like, is that great? White socks? Yeah, like, but ugh. I guess you, you get you get Weak. grandfathered in when they're 150 yeah, years old. I guess it's a little so. different. Yeah. The I Kraken. Like it. It's good. I like it. The Seattle Kraken. And Say if, it. If they don't hire Liam Neeson from Clash of the Titans for game one to yell, release the Kraken. Oh, I thought that was a uh, – see, I, am I wrong about that? I thought it was Pirates of the Caribbean. No? There might be a – Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, but – For all you people that just were offended that I didn't get my pop culture movie <laughs> reference. I thought – I for some reason, I thought release the Krakens is a – it's no, not it's Liam no. Neeson and okay, Clash of the Titans. The remake of Clash of the Titans, okay. yeah. So they're going to miss an opportunity if they don't get him. They okay. better start calling him right. now. Are we done that? Is that, yeah, I think is that Can I ring the bell on that? Ring do it. we need to do more than that? Are hockey fans going to be disappointed? We didn't dissect the name better. Can we no. change cli- Climate Pledge? I can't even say Climate Pledge well, Arena. Try to say the Kraken at the Climate Pledge Arena. <laughs> it really rolls off no, the tongue, doesn't I'm gonna it? I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> okay, where did you hear that Jamal Adams, the New York Jets All-World Safety, was traded to the Seattle Seahawks? Where did you hear it? How did you hear it? And what was your first thoughts? What do you think now before before I, I give you a very complex, convoluted, complicated analysis of the trade. I have it all prepared for you, and I hope that you're going to put your computer down You're gonna and you're going to follow me on that. But first, I give you the floor. What do you think? Jamal Adams, 24, 25 years old, all-world safety, does it all, best safety in football, is now a member of your favorite football team so that all of us can sit at home and watch him play on TV. I was doing yard work, hadn't checked my phone for a while. I get back, and there's a text i'm on a thread with 11 guys and someone says how do you feel this is is great jamal i'm like wow that's awesome my first thought because i'm kind of a glass half empty person is what could have been with that secondary with dunbar that was my first thought you we don't know that dunbar's done it doesn't look i mean are you gonna bet money that he's gonna play no (laughs) okay but we don't know that okay fine we don't know that we don't know that it's not looking good so you you like the idea of uh shack Shaq on the last year of his deal. Get me all excited. Um, Dunbar on the last year of his deal. Diggs, who was great when they came over from Detroit. And uh, oh, so you might even be more. No, you wouldn't be more excited than the Legion of Doom. That's not better. Or boom, Legion of Boom. No, I don't think so. That's not better than Chancellor and Thomas and Richard Sherman and Brandon Brown. Well, I did look on uh, PFF. You take that for what it's worth, right? Pro football. Well, you know, I study hard for these shows. (laughs) Cam Chancellor. (laughs) First of all, Earl Thomas was a 93.1 career. Yeah. Chancellor, a 91. Jamal Adams, they have as a 90. So he's actually pretty close to those 
two that are that we just revere in this town. Okay. I don't know if he's as good as those guys, but he's close at least. Okay. But th- that secondary, was, okay. oh, so your first me. reaction was you went right to Dunbar. Yeah. You didn't have a reaction like, oh my God, that was a lot, or oh, well, they got a deal. They swiped him from the Jets. The Jets took advantage of Schneider and Carroll. You didn't have any kind of thought on that when you heard. I st- it felt like a lot to me. Two first rounders seems like a lot. So I, I started reading around and I saw this is definitely a long-term move. And then I read some, oh, this is a short-term move by the city. Uh, Adams is a superstar. And then, wait, why are the Seahawks treating Adams like a superstar? Like, nobody can come to a consensus on well, whether... I'm going to help you. I'll help you out. That's, that. I'm glad. And that's why I have, you're here, right? I have another question for you, too, later after. Go ahead. Your, you want to ask me the question now? Do you think if the Dunbar thing had not happened, had he not gotten in any trouble, they still would have made this move? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I thought maybe it was driven by that a bit. Like, ah, no. We wanted to make our secondary better. We no. did with Dunbar. Clearly, but now John Schneider and Pete Carroll know more about the Dunbar proceedings than we know. So there may have been some incentive. But no, I, I think this was the Seahawks trying desperately to do whatever they can to make their defense better. Okay. And to add impact players because their offense is so far right now ahead of their defense and and everybody perceives their defense as the reason they can't win the Super Bowl. So they were going to go out that this this is just an opinion by sure. the way. They were going to go out and find an impact player wherever he is and try to improve their defense. That's I don't think this had anything to do with Dunbar. Okay, I, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it had anything to do with Dunbar. So yeah, I was just imagining what the secondary yeah. could be is the first thing that hit me. Right. Okay, so the first thing that hit me, I was actually playing in a golf tournament on oh. Saturday, and I was on the 16th hole of a terrible round. And is it just the, me or every time you've played the last two months, you've said it's terrible? Has there been a good round in the past two yeah, months? Yeah, there actually have been a couple of good rounds. I never hear about them. It's always well, awful. Well, no golfer ever likes his rounds. But <laughs> okay, this is truly a, the epitome of disaster. <laughs> right, next week will be and the I'm, same. And I'm going down 16. I'm walking with my clubs on my back, and I'm I'm pissed off. I'm you know, just not playing well. I'm embarrassing myself. And and the aforementioned Rick Fair, who's the teaching pro, the head of instruction at, at where I play, comes. I see his cart come flying down, and he gets out of his cart, which is not typical. Normally, they're just flying around making sure everybody's okay. He gets out of his cart and kind of waves me over. Oh wow! In the middle of 16 fairway, and he wasn't asking me how my how my round was going. <laughs> yeah. He was like, "Did you hear the big trade?" I was like, "No, tell me." And I could, and I hope he's not listening because if I'm if I'm butchering this, I believe he said to me. Maybe he was unaware, or maybe I just didn't hear it right. I believe he said to me, "The Seahawks got Jamal Adams." I was like, oh, really? What'd they give up? And he said, I think he said, two first rounders, a second rounder, and McDougal. Okay. And that was where the end of the conversation, then he got into his cart and he walked away. He's like, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and he w- went away. And so I, on top of having a crappy round, now I'm playing 16, 17, and 18, thinking about one thing. Yeah, right. Which is, what am I going to say on Mitch Unfilter? What am I going to say? What's yeah. my first one? And, and the first blush is, now, as you understand, that was, in, that was, erroneous information that was not true what he said they didn't give two first rounders and a second rounder and matt and and mcdougald they gave mcdougald two first rounders and a third rounder and got a fourth rounder back so there was some minor mistakes in the delivery of if i heard him right it's not quite as bad as he said yeah so i'm i'm ashamed to say what my first reaction was oh boy when i was thinking that it was the wrong package i was thinking Holy shit. Yeah. Pete Carroll and John Schneider 
are taking two more kicks at this thing and then they're quitting and going somewhere else and they're going to leave. <laughs> Screw the guy who comes in next. Oh, that's awesome. He's the one who's not going to have the draft choices. We're going for it right now with Russell Wilson and Jamal Adams yeah. and let the next group, the next regime, worry about not having any draft choices to be to be good for a while. Treating- that was the first thing. Like, There's got to be something huh. more to this story that they would give away that much. Treating the Seahawks like a rental car. Just kind beat the hell out of it. Well, like, we've been here now for 10 yeah, years. Yeah, who cares? The next person that drives We're going to take two more. <laughs> Pete and John got yeah. on a phone call. Jody Allen wasn't on it. She's probably in, in, in charge of the health of the franchise. Yeah. The two of them was like, hey, how, how many more years are, we, are you doing this? I'm doing a couple more years. Let's just go give them whatever they want. Yeah. And, and you know, well, let the next guy clean up our mess. Plus, those two had to hear a lot of... Why are they not helping Russell Wilson? I, you read a lot about that in the offseason. You have the, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Right. You're not giving him anything. Right. They're probably right. sick of hearing that. Too. Okay. And then I got off the course and I got the real story, <laughs> which was you might say only slightly different than what he told me. But no, I don't, I don't agree to that. I, I don't agree that it's slightly different. Okay. And, and then I sat down and thought, okay, let me get my thoughts together. And the more, and I, I know a lot of people share this with me, the more I thought about the trade and really thought about the trade, the more I kind of liked it. Now, I wouldn't say that I, I find it to be an absolute grand slam home run, yeah. but I went from thinking, oh my God, that's a lot to give up for one guy, yeah. especially a safety, to where I sit now, which is, okay, okay, I'm in pretty good shape. So what I thought I would do is take you through my thinking process, my thought process. Oh, boy. And this is a little, it's a little convoluted, not convoluted, it's kind of step by step. Okay. Okay? And I'll walk you three, through how I view the trade now as we sit here on episode 102. Okay. Let's talk about what the package is for this guy. Let's start with it being a third rounder and 20. Let's start with the third rounder and the fourth rounder, okay? Let's okay. put the first... First rounders and the and the and McDougal aside for a second. Let's just talk about third rounder and fourth rounder. Okay. The Seahawks traded a third rounder in 2021. Okay, 2021 will be after this season where they've added Jamal Adams. Right. They're going to be pretty they they stand to be pretty good in 2020 in 2020, so they stand to have a very low draft choice in 2021. Okay. They got back a fourth rounder in 2022. Now, nobody knows what's going to happen to the New York Jets. They could somehow all of a sudden be great. No. But what do the percentages <laughs> say no. about where they're going to be drafting in 2022? Yeah. So what's the difference between the third rounder in 2021? And let's just, in, in, in terms of where it is in the round, let's say the Seahawks are going to be drafting... I don't know, 27, 28, 26, 29, God willing, 32nd as Super Bowl champions, whatever. And the Jets are like 6, 8, 10, 5, 4, anywhere in there. Really, we're talking 10 or 15 spots difference between a third rounder and a fourth. Now, I know that's different years, but a third round and a fourth rounder. So stay with me on this. And the difference between a third, a late third rounder and a fourth rounder when you get that deep in the draft yeah. is very little. So I, I consider that, yeah, is it a marginal win for the Jets, the third, just the third and the fourth? Yeah. yeah but it's kind of a wash. Okay. Okay. So that put, let's put that aside. Okay. The, so what do we have left? What, what's left now for, in the trade for Jamal Adams? Well, the two first rounders. Two first rounders. McDougal. And McDougal. Okay. Yep. Let's go to McDougal. 
Okay. Okay. The Seahawks don't want McDougald next year if they've got Jamal Adams. Yeah, they don't. They don't want him. Yeah. In fact, you'll be you'll be you might be moderately surprised to know in terms of salary cap impact for next year, McDougald was going to count four point one million against the cap. Really. And Jamal Adams is go- is going to count. million against the cap just next year. Okay. So you didn't want McDougald. He's got one year left on his contract, so he was going to leave after next year anyway for all intents and purposes. And by shifting him to to the Jets and taking on Jamal Adams, who's a far better player, you actually save money against the cap next year. So overall – that's a small win for the Seattle Seahawks. We're not talking about the players now. Yeah. We're just talking about you wanted to trade McDougald. If they had offered you the same trade and said we don't, we won't, we don't want McDougald, you would say no, no, we want to give you McDougald. <laughs> right, you throw we, him in. We want, we want to throw him in the deal. Yeah, yeah. So, so I say small win for the Seahawks. So now you've got small win for the Red, for the Redskins, small win for the Jets on the third and fourth rounder, small, yeah. and small win not in terms of the players, but just. Getting rid of the McDougald four point one million to bring in a guy with three point small win. So where do we stand right now after two rounds of my analysis? Well, it's a tie, right? It's a tie. We're even. Yeah. So what do we have left? The two first round picks. You're following me. You're tracking I'm me, right? It. Yes. So yes. now we're left with two first round draft choices. So now we get down to the nitty gritty. I won't say willy nilly. The <laughs> nitty gritty. And you always hear people say first round draft picks are like gold in the NFL. Let's, let's talk about it. Okay. So I'm, st- I'm I'm analyzing this step by step. I've got. The Jets winning on the third and fourth round switch moderately. Sure. I've got the Seahawks winning on the 500 grand moderately. We're even. We're even going at nothing. So now the question is, is Jamal Adams worth two first round draft choice? Well, let's talk about that. The two draft first round draft choices are in 2021, this next draft uh-huh. after this year, and in 2022. Right. So let's just now... Put one of them aside. We'll put 22, 2022's first round draft choice aside. All right, put that aside. Okay. Let's just ask the question who wins? Let's call Jamal Adams their pick. Right. He's essentially the Seahawks now first round draft choice in 2021 right. with an added bonus. What's the added bonus, Hotshot? See if you're really Ooh. tracking me. There's an added bonus. He's kind of their pick in 2021, yeah. but there's an added bonus, a huge added bonus. Well, I don't know if it's added, but he's he's a we know he can play. We know he's a good player. There's another added pro- bonus. He's not really their pick in 2021. Why? Mm. He's already played a year. You've already gotten a year out of him. Oh, right. He's I not see. coming aboard in 2021 in, in lieu of the first. We're making him, for the sake of the conversation, the 2021 draft choice. Gotcha. Okay. Where are the Seahawks going to pick in 2021 now that they are – they were thought to be an 11-win team right now before they made him, maybe a 10-and-a-half-win team before they got him. Now they get him. Let's say he's worth a win. Maybe they're an 11-and-a-half or 12-win team with him. Okay, how many teams, trivia question, finished with a better than 12-and-4 record last year? 12-and-4. Uh, how many finished with a better 12-and-4 record last year? Uh, three. The answer is, I believe, four teams. Okay. So okay. not, not many. Not many. Yeah. So where do they stand to be estimating in the 2021 draft, first round draft choice? 28th, 20, yeah. 27th, God willing, 32nd, <laughs> but 28th, 27th. Okay. So he is now your first round. We're going to, okay, we're going to compare him to whoever they, to who you would have gotten yeah. at 27, 28. 
Um, who comes out right just on that? Now, we still have another first-round draft choice. I understand. We're yeah, going to yeah. come back to that. Who, who comes out on top? Did the Seahawks do better or worse considering what they would have gotten at 28 versus the best safety in the National Football League? I think the Seahawks win that. Okay. Game. The chances that the Seahawks would have drafted a better player than Jamal Adams. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. The chances of Jennifer Aniston calling my wife and asking her if she could borrow Mitch for a pool party for a couple <laughs> hours are greater than the Seahawks drafting at 27, a guy better than Jamal Adams. So you're saying there's a chance. Okay. Do I have to go over no. who the Seahawks have drafted around that pick since <laughs> They've come along. Okay? You don't, but please do. I would be happy to. <laughs> Thank thanks you. for asking. So here are the picks 25 to 35 in the in the Pete Carroll, John Schneider era. That Just those 10 picks, 25 to 35, right in there. Okay. Here are the picks that they've made. Jordan Brooks, we don't know. LJ Collier, Rashad Penny, Jermaine Effetti, Malik McDowell, oh. and James Carpenter. So I'll ask you again. What are the chances they would have drafted somebody at 27 or 28 better than Jamal Adams? Not good. Okay. And by the way, they may have traded down, which they love doing anyway. Right. So, that- so, so in, in the grand picture, how much better than whatever they would have pick, picked is Jamal Adams? We have to kind of quantify this before we get to the last number one. Is it drastic? Well, I mean, finding someone like Jamal Adams in yeah, the draft. Versus is- 27, yeah. what they would get. Right. It's the difference. It, these guys are hardly even contributors yeah. on a football Carpenter team. was a starter, but not a pro bowler. So, and, well, so so yeah. was uh, Jermaine Effetti. He started. Was he any yeah, good? right. These guys are starters because they didn't have anything better. I mean, they weren't <laughs> any good. Okay. The difference between Jamal, what I was angling at, the difference between Jamal Adams and that player that they would have picked is a football field. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. Okay. So now the question is, we've got one thing left to identify. And what is it? Well, you have one first-round pick we left in 2022. one first-round yeah. draft. So now the question is, so just to recap, we've decided the third and fourth swap, slight advantage to the Jets. We decided the, the, the McDougald 4.1 million against the cap versus for this year versus uh, uh, Adams against the cap this year. Small win for the Seahawks. They, they play each other. Yep. Now we've decided the Seahawks win huge. Like, it's a... It's a unanimous decision, Jamal Adams versus the number one pick, the, the first-round pick that they would make next year. That leaves the first-round pick in 2022. Yes. Okay. So my question is, it's kind of the same question, is giving up that guy, whoever that guy would be in 2022, just him never joining the football team, is that too much of a payment for winning huge in the Jamal Adams versus the first round pick in 2021. Do you understand the question? Did I get too fuzzy for you? Uh, We understand. Okay, so we understand understand, that the Seahawks get a huge advantage in the 20, him versus the 2021. Is the payment, the cost of that advantage, what they're paying up is not getting the guy in 2022 that they would have gotten. Let me help you out with somebody, with, with some of the guys that they might have gotten. Oh, jeez. LJ Collier, Rashad Penny, <laughs> yeah. Jermaine Effetti, Malik McDowell, and James yeah. Carpenter. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Are, would you say not getting that guy, take the average of those guys, not getting that guy yeah. is too big of a payment to have the huge boisterous impact 
over the number one pick in 2021? I would say absolutely not too much of a payment. You now have heard the way Mitch Levy analyzes this trade. So you're saying it's not only a win, but a pretty pretty good size I win? Think, I think it's a good win. Now, let me tell you where my, just so you don't think I'm a homer, where I I get a little bit a little bit queasy, not a lot, but a little bit queasy, which tempers my enthusiasm. Okay. So what I've just shared with you is the way I analyze the deal. Okay. But anybody who's rational, that's a fan, would be yelling at the podcast right now. Mitch, what you haven't thrown into the mix is how much you're going to have to pay Jamal Adams either next year or the year after. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Five years, $75 million is a good starting point. He will ask for the biggest contract in safety history, which is currently 14 and change. He's going to ask for the starting negotiation is going to be five years, $75 million. Wow. Okay. Okay. Where do you stand on that, Mitch? Well, what gives me hesitation is if you're an NFL football team, the great NFL football teams who – who pay their defensive players. You want. Right now, by the way, currently, just so you know this, for the cap, right now, the Seahawks spend $108 million on offense and $80 million on defense. It shows. Okay. It showed last okay. year. Yeah. So you need those. You may not need those to be equal because you got a quarterback on what, what the right. quarterback weighs it down, but you'd like it to be, I would think you would like it to be 52%, 48%, or 53%. Okay, they're, they're out of whack right now. So they got to pay yeah. somebody. They got to start paying people on defense. Well, the hesitation, the pause, the reason for pause is this. Teams that, they're, they're two big, high-priced players will be who, after they do the deal with Jamal Adams, let's say they do a Jamal Adams deal one year from now, they give them five years, $80 million, okay? okay? They will be paying two defensive players a, a boatload of money. Yeah. Who are they? Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams. Okay. A middle linebacker and a safety. Yeah. I can pretty much guarantee you that the great built NFL defenses who spend money, the top two mega defensive deals are never not an edge rusher or a corner. Yeah. You give the corners, the shutdown corners, right? The Deion Sanders. You give the Khalil Max. That's right, yeah. The guys who sack the guys. The, 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 the idea that neither one of their top two huge mega deals on defense would be either a corner or an edge rusher makes me go, whoo, you're paying. Your big deals are middle linebacker and safety up the middle. Okay, but... You should be spending your money on a corner or uh, okay. So there's there's my hesitation. There's my reason for pause. There's what tempers my enthusiasm. Now, I'll give you one last thought of what 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 allows me to sleep better at night as a result of what I just shared with okay. you. When you watch Jamal Adams play, which I have a lot, not as much as the people in New York. When you talk to people who watch him play, when you talk to coaches who have coached him and really know the player, what they say the greatest attributes to Jamal Adams are, hotshot, okay, are his or is his versatility. Hmm. That he's they say he's a he's a better than average coverage man he's not the greatest coverage safety but he's a he's a a better than average coverage man okay okay? he is the best blitzing safety in the nfl he came up i think with eight sacks last year wow 
So he gives you unexpected pass rush if you use him the right way. Number two. Seahawks defensive lineman couldn't come sniff eight. (laughs) And and they say he's the best run-stopping safety in the NFL. I love that. So he's the best run-stopping safety. He's the best blitzing safety to get on on the quarterback. And he's an above-average coverage guy. Okay? Okay. Okay. So he has attributes of – and by the way, just – just to remind you, as a run-stopping team, they sucked last year. Right. By the way, they yeah. they, they averaged like they, they gave up like five yards a carry. They were one of the top. They were one of the worst three teams against the run in the NFL. They were just a bad defense overall yep. last year. We went through it every okay. week. So he is going. <laughs> so so what? I just given you what tempers my enthusiasm, mm-hmm. but I then turned around and give you. Uh, okay, if we want to pay the safety in the middle linebacker and not the corner and the edge rusher, at least he gives you. He gives you things in those areas like pass rushing that you don't typically get out of a safety. And one last thing that also plays to your favor to make me sleep better at night, and that is everybody to a T who says anything about Pete Carroll says, Pete Carroll is great with safeties. For some reason, Hmm. Pete Carroll is known in the league. There was no coincidence that Cam Chancellor had a hell of a career in Earl Thomas, that he is... Uh, especially innovative as a coach when it, he makes he tailors his defenses to safeties and that this is a match made in heaven this is wow. a perfect guy for a Pete Carroll you got me excited so, now uh, no, <laughs> I love hearing I, that I'm trying to give you both sides sure. yeah, of yeah. the story and I I probably took up 25 minutes of, of Mitch unfiltered but I think it was worth I, I wanted to get I wanted to do this in kind of a step-by-step process of how I view the deal. So having said all of all that, of that, give me a grade on this trade. I, I told you, I think instead of giving you a grade, I think it's a a, a sharp double or a, either a long single or a sharp double. I, I still think there is a, there is a problem with paying a middle linebacker and a safety and no cor- it, it limits look. When they sign him, now I don't know how long Bobby Wagner has left. Yeah. But for the years that they've got a big-time middle linebacker making a lot of money and a safety making a ton of money, they will not be able to spend a lot of money on a corner or an edge rusher. So, so that, that goes to my, my next question for so you. So that, that's got to, at the very least, scare you a little bit in those years until until Bobby Wagner then comes off the books and he becomes less of a player and, and then they take his money yeah. and they go either – Spend it on a pass rusher, or so the answer. The end result is is while this is happening, they had better draft well at corner and edge rush. Right. They had better. Right. Okay. Now, does this put the nail in the clowning coffin? No. Is, okay. Okay. So here's let me, let me give you my deal on that. Okay. I got to put my glasses on to read my notes. I'm going to give you my deal on that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to give you my deal because on that. that that might help a little bit with with and you you're going to hear the you're going to you're going to hear on this episode Brady Henderson and Joe Fan and I talk about this from beginning to end okay and you're going to hear this conversation but let me let me let me tell you what I wrote them okay I'm going to tell you what I wrote them on Saturday night when I asked him to do the segment after the Jamal Adams deal here's what I wrote them here's how I figure it salary cap at the moment after the McDougald for Jamal Adams swap. $14.5 million under the cap. Now, remember, keep in the back of your mind, they want to keep five, six, seven right. million for an emergency. Injuries or whatever. Injuries, yeah. got to go acquire a player, yeah. got to do something at the trading deadline. You can't, you can't go to zero. You got to right. save some money, okay? <laughs> All right, so here's what I wrote. Currently at the moment, $14.5 million. This is going to answer your question about Jadavion Clowney. $14.5 million right now. 
cut Jacob Hollister. You oh. went out and got Greg Cars- uh, Greg Olson. Uh, Olson. Yep. You've got some other guys. You hope Will Disley comes back. And this is just I, I mean I I don't have anything against Jacob Hollister. I'm just giving him a an idea. Yep. Cut Jacob Hollister, save three point three million. You're up to seventeen point eight million underneath the cap. All right. Okay. Now go to Jadeveon Clowney, the guy who's been saying, I, I only want to go play for a team at this stage of my career that has a has a chance, a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. And say, here, look, Jadeveon, here's a year, 10 million bucks. I know it's not what you wanted. I know it's not even what we offered you. I know this offseason didn't work out great for you. Yeah. But know that you're loved. We really want you back. Know that we think with Jamal Adams, we are a Super Bowl contending team. And know that we'll do everything we can to put you in a position where next year after this one year, $10 million is over, you can go out and get, get a paid. mega deal. Yeah. That's what he's always wanted was that big mega deal. And he wants to play in a winner. So yeah. we get we get Jadevi, in my plan, oh. we get Jadevi on Clowney for one, one year, $10 million, which takes us down to what? $7.8 million. Now, if Dunbar ends up on the exempt list, the commissioner's list, you get his money back against the cap. Okay. But it wasn't much so because he's three, on first year? Three. Uh, or first contract? I think it's um, 2.4 against the against the cap. Okay. So if Dunbar, Dunbar ends up on the exempt list, you're back up with Clowney and Adams. You're back up to $11.2 million to still go out and get another corner if you want to do so. Wow. But here's my favorite part of my, my text. <laughs> if Dunbar's deal drags in Florida and the commissioner doesn't put him on the exempt list, well, then you're still at $7.8 million under the cap for a rainy day in your pillow. Yeah. And you have Dunbar, oh. Clowney, and Jamal oh, don't do on that, that to defense. Me. And $8 million under the cap. That's my plan. So my plan is to cut Jacob Hollister, or Joey Hunt, or one of those guys, yeah. and save $3 million, go out and, and put the hardcore press. Now, I don't know. Now, you'll hear the reaction by those guys on this show. I don't know that Jadeveon Clowney is going to take a year $10 million. I'm not telling you he is. Yeah. Especially from a team who offered a year like $15 million eight weeks ago, and now they want me back at one year $10 million. Maybe he's going to go to Tennessee for a year, $12 million. Maybe he's going to go to Cleveland for a year, $13 million. I don't know. Yeah. This is my plan if I'm John Schneider. I want all three of those guys. Oh, yeah. I want one year because Dunbar then is a free agent. I want one. Dunbar probably be in jail a year from right. now. I want take one shot with Russell Wilson, the new offensive line, the wide receivers, the running backs, Clowney, Dunbar, Adams, Bobby Wagner, the new number one pick, Jordan Brooks, take one shot, one swing at the Super Bowl pinata with that group. There you, wa- you go. You wanted an improved defense. I think that would do it, right? That yeah, would make it a little a, better. It's a big if. It's I a big if. A, I don't know that we can get. A, I don't know that we can get Dunbar available and active and yeah. free. And B, I don't know that we can get you Devion Clowney on a year ten million. We may have to just settle for one of the three guys. But I'm a pipe dreamer, and we <laughs> pipe dreamers have our ways, and that's what I'd like. There you go. There's my assessment. Any questions? Did I cover all the bases on the on the Jamal? I I, I think it's a facet. Well, there's one thing I didn't I didn't include, which I find the hysterical part of this debate. Okay. And we kind of did, but we kind of didn't. The people that love the deal, that are happy that John Schneider and Pete Carroll did this deal, the uh-huh. Seahawks fans are, 
it's kind of twisted that the reason they like the deal is because they don't trust those two guys with picks 25, 26, and 27. <laughs> yeah. the, the, it's funny that the, the less confidence you have in them making draft choices – the more you love this deal. <laughs> Unten- Does that, you follow Unintended that? Unintended consequence of them being bad at drafting yeah. in the first draft. You're, 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 you're like going, yeah, 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 because you suck. That's, right. that's really what you're saying, that's exactly right? exactly right, yeah. I, I think that's hysterical. Now, any concerns about his personality at all? Nah. Okay. Brash, now. Nah. Well, he went, he went after the owner pretty nah. hard. Woody Johnson, is that his name? Yeah. Not not concerned. Okay. He and we'll talk about it in the other stuff segment. He and Le'Veon Bell are having it that's out. That's right. He yeah. also went after his head coach. He wanted out. He was just, I'm, I'm not concerned. Okay. I just, yeah. I'm, I'm just curious. That I'm not concerned. Just Remember, to get out. you're asking me as a fan of a team that has a guy who allegedly took out a weapon at a party <laughs> and stole $70,000. Right. So if I'm concerned with Jamal Adams. A couple of mean tweets. Is it going to do it for you? <laughs> Three interviews that I think you'll enjoy. Then the other stuff segment. And joining us here on episode 102 is my guy, Tyler Hay, the CEO of Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager here in the Northwest. Tyler, give us the latest on your end. You know, it's been kind of an interesting time for everybody, I'm sure. But for Evergreen, it's been challenging to both manage dealing with your home life, your family life, your work life. But one silver line that's come out of this is the use of technology for us. We've been pushing our clients and begging them to do virtual meetings for years and there's been kind of a pushback no i'll come in the office i'd like to see you guys and and so in some ways this has actually advanced our ability to communicate in a little bit more efficient way for clients so no that's been that's i guess that's a silver lining if i could find one you know it's really a confusing financial time tyler for so many what kinds of questions are your team being asked by your clients and those of us without managers what should we be asking ourselves the thing that we probably get asked the most is how do we play this COVID world? Should we be buying airlines? Should we be buying hotels? Should we be buying casino stocks, the ones that have been battered? And I think there's a lot of people that are looking for opportunity because it's obviously presented itself through volatility in the markets. On the flip side, you have other clients saying, how do I avoid things like airlines? How do I avoid things like hotels? How do I avoid stuff that's going to be negatively impacted by by COVID-19. And I think probably the hardest thing is the answer is, I don't know, right? I mean, if something was to come out, a vaccine, a therapeutic, you know, you'd want to invest one way. If it doesn't come out for years, you'd want to invest another. And so I think that being diversified and also being nimble is probably the best tool investors could be using. Which brings us to your newsletter. I saw just this morning a likes and dislikes piece on your website. Tell everybody about this free newsletter that's available on a weekly basis and and its origin. Sure. So we write it every Friday, and so 52 times a year, and it's really effective for two things. One, if you're having trouble sleeping and you want some heavy financial (laughs) literature to read, it can really be a great sleep aid. (laughs) And then second, for people that follow the markets and are looking for kind of some guidance and some perspective we think that we try to to give people some tools to help make decisions around their portfolios what is the best way to figure out whether a wealth manager is a good idea for us tyler and in particular evergreen golf call sure i mean i think that there are kind of two questions that people should ask when they're thinking about do i need a wealth manager the first one is do you have the time to do it yourself it's not a hobby right it's people's real money and i think 
that it takes a kind of a full-time commitment to it. So first, do you have the time? And then the second question is really, do you have the aptitude to do it? And I think that those are the two questions that people should be asking. If the answer to either one of those is no, then I think you should be calling a wealth manager. And when you're calling a wealth manager or, or someone to help you out, I think probably one of the questions that people should be asking is, how have you done in in up markets, how have you done in down markets? I think that there's a tendency for someone to say, hey, show me your performance. And, you know, you thought about somebody who's managing money the last 10 years pre-COVID-19, everybody looked pretty good. So I think trying to evaluate somebody and how they've done through kind of a full, what we call a full market cycle is probably the best way to do it. And the first step for you guys is to go to evergreengk.com and fill out the client compatibility survey. Is that right? Exactly. That helps us figure out what type of investor they are and if they're suited for kind of wealth management. I mean, I think that, you know, we're pretty honest with people and have said to people, you know, you're not really a candidate. Either you have, like you said, the skill to do it yourself or something like that. So we really try to find clients that are good fits. Tyler Hay, the CEO of Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Give me your hands, show me the door. I cannot stay to wait anymore. So, the soup community White House Correspondence Dinner, was yes. this always the plan? This was exactly how I wanted my career to go. You have to be an equal opportunity uh, make funner of. Joel, it's good to see you. First of all, I see that we're doing something very similar. You're in the suit and tie, I'm out here getting the raise and uh, just relaxing while you're sipping on your, uh, I guess that's coffee. Russell, first of all, thank you for bringing a Super Bowl to Seattle. Thank you. And I have to ask you, now that Patrick Mahomes is going to make half a billion dollars, he's the highest paid player in the NFL, are you pissed off? Our first guest on this 102nd episode, Mitch Unfiltered, I believe he was a Mercer Island High School class of 1991 graduate and then off to the University of Washington He's gone on to a heck of a television and film career, actor, comedian, producer, you name it. Uh, I have a gripe with this TV sitcom community, which has taken over the Levy household in Bellevue, Washington. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the pride of the Northwest, Joel McHale. Hi, Joel. Mitch, it is an honor to be on your show, <laughs> and I'm sad that you live in Bellevue. <laughs> Is this the whole Bellevue-Mercer Island rivalry that's rearing its... There's always a big rivalry. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Okay. And are your kids Wolverine? Uh, No, they are Newport Knights, believe it or not. Oh, okay. The hill, I guess, right? In Factoria is where you would go to a movie theater? That's where we go to a movie theater to see Joel McHale. You know, I didn't think that my interview prep was going to include watching you in a Hollywood Hills pool wearing a suit, subbing for Jimmy Kimmel, and interviewing Russell Wilson. But that's the way I found myself spending the other evening. How was that? Well, it wasn't in the hills. It was on, you know, it was in the flats. So it wasn't that expensive. (laughs) No, I joke. It's a very nice home. It's not mine. (laughs) That, uh, that, uh, they, I guess they, uh, Kimmel has a, uh, has a company or something. I think they rent out the. I don't know how it all works, but it's a very nice home. And but the even the, I drank a lot of that pool water, and uh, so far I only have one 
I've only had one bacterial infection. <laughs> All right, how was it? Was the- very fun. Though. And I, I got to I got to talk to Russell for that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because I know that you're a fan, but I really need you to quantify this for me. Are you a a watch every week on Directv Seahawks fan? Are you a fly up for games on a private plane Seahawks fan? Are you somewhere in the middle? How about those handsome sons of yours? Are they Seahawks fans? Give me the give me the landscape, please. Who do you think I am, Drew Carey? You think I got Drew Carey money lying on him? <laughs> Uh, I wish uh, no, no, if someone has a private jet, they would like to fly me up on. I, <laughs> this is a open offer to your listeners, Mitch. Uh, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, I have flown up for games, but it's definitely been uh, an Alaska flight out of Burbank, <laughs> uh, which is my favorite little airport. Um, I don't. I'm definitely not somebody who flies up every week because I'm usually on the road. Uh, or working, but I don't miss a game, and I haven't for quite a few years. And believe me, when we lost the Super Bowl uh, to Pittsburgh, it was I was angry for about three years. So, um, uh, so when we finally did win, I was happy and continue to be, uh, even though we lost that other one on a, a heartbreaker. Uh, but uh, no, it, it it gives me unnatural joy. Uh, so it, and I was like, oh, this is what sports fans did. This is why we, they paint they paint their entire bodies green and they stand out in below zero temperatures because uh, I, I can't – I love it so much. <laughs> well, I, I got to understand the McHale story. I, I, you, you were born in Rome, is that right? And how do you your, – your, your father is from like Chicago, mother's from Canada. How did you guys – and how young were you when you moved – to the northwest to Mercer Island and, and give me kind of the, the lowdown, the, the, the McHale family story, if you would. Well, they were CAA agents and I was recruited by uh, MI6 so when I was yeah, a two-year-old. Yeah, sure. And uh, sure. my, let's see, my mom grew up in Vancouver, Canada, and my grandfather got a job with the UN helping to stimulate fish populations around the world. Yes. Really? Uh, that that was a whole insane. So the career move was they all. That was because the UN. That part of UN's in Rome, and uh, and so he they went all they went from you know Vancouver that at that point didn't have uh, you know Whistler or cool bars like you know, breweries to sort of swinging sixties Fellini Rome, and my father who grew up in um, Chicago uh, he was ready to get, he hated Chicago. No, he loved it, but he thought it would be Roman holiday when he was in high school and he pointed at the screen and announced that that was where he was going. Okay. And he figured it out and, and went to Loyola, uh, Chicago, and then they have a, a campus in Rome and he became the dean of students and that's where he met my mom. And then they had three boys and then they couldn't afford anything because they had this they had big family. And um, my dad found a job with Weyerhaeuser. Uh, in the 70s, okay. and he began working for Weyerhaeuser, and I was like, what was that like going from Rome to Seattle in the 70s where uh, there was literally billboards because there was such a depression going on, a billboard in Seattle that said, with the last person in Seattle, please turn the lights out. And uh, and so I, he was like, yeah, it wasn't fun. It was not what I wanted to do, and then now, now we think it's the greatest place on the planet. Right. Uh, we all do, right? Yeah, now. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, he hates, he hates the rain still. He does not like so the I. endless on a, yeah. 
uh, Merck, but I, 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 grew, I grew to love it. Oh, okay. So Joel McHale uh, moves, the McHale family with three boys moves to Mercer Island. You go to Mercer Island High School. As we pointed out, you were a 1991 guy. Now, when did rowing, okay, so I, I, I don't know. Does Mercer Island High School have a rowing team? I should know this, I suppose. And how do you get recruited? No. How do you get recruited at the, the, the famous, and I guess you're going to call it infamous, there's a difference, uh, Washington rowing team? How, how does that happen? Well, I was so bad in school at everything that uh, I, have, I was a terrible student and continue to be today. Uh, I'm super dyslexic and continue to be dyslexic today. So the only thing I want to do was sports and acting, and that's all I did. I did everything other than school, and that's what I, that's what I'm, I, I'm not trying to tell kids to stop doing school, but for me, it was my escape. So I just did a zillion sports, and one of them just happened to be rowing, and there's a place called, it's Mount Baker right near, you know, where the, it's right out where the hydro pits are. I don't know. It's got to be still around. It was just a rowing club. And so a couple of my friends and I went row. One time, Ryan Alex was pretty good. Um, he was like Olympic level good. Um, and then I got recruited to row. So I was pretty fast. Um, and then I joined rowing team and, I didn't realize at that time that they were just a huge bunch of assholes, and uh, and the coach wasn't um, was complicit. Uh, so yeah, I got into a fist fight. You've told this story. We're with Joel McHale, uh, the pride of yeah. Mercer Island, and and he's on your TV and all the time and on your movie screen. So. You've told this story a million times. I, 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 yeah. I, I, I look at this stuff in print and I wonder, is he exaggerating? I mean, you said that you either put in a chair or pulled out a chair wrong and the other guys on the yeah. team surrounded you and beat the hell out of you or something like that, right? Well, the, uh, at that point, I don't think it's going to exist today, but all the rowers used to live together. They used to have their own basically small dorm right on the lake. Uh, it was very nice. And they had all these rules, crazy rules, such I guess they probably still be some of them today, but if you make it in the freshman boat, they shave your head and your eyebrows off and they put all your hair into a pillow. And then there's a display case of the hair pillows, which is pretty wonderfully disturbing. And um, they had all these rules about what tables you could be at, how different tiles that chairs should be placed on. It was all so really stupid. And um, and so I didn't push one in with this guy named Jason Riney, who ended up marrying uh, my high school friend, Suzanne Russell. And, uh, and they surrounded us and hit us. And uh, it was one of those things where I'm like, do I fight back against 11 seniors? No. And it's not... Not a lot you can do, and so um, I complained to the coach. I was like, "Hey, they're like surrounding guys and you know beating them up," and uh, and he did nothing. So uh, you quit. And so I was like, "What's the point of this?" And I had a bunch of I was in a fraternity at that point, and I had a bunch of friends on the football team, and I said, "I want to come out for football," which was uh, not necessarily an advisable thing, but I am not that smart when it comes to those things, so I. Went out for football and it was really fun. Uh, you know, wildly dangerous, but uh, I almost got killed a few times. But I really enjoyed it and really enjoyed the guy. So you go out for football and you make the team. You lie about your 
your experience. I guess you played a year at Mercer Island. Now, yeah. did you play? Now, you didn't play. You're on the scout team, but that's still incredible. You're six four. You're a tight end. I've seen the pictures. You were much. You were much bulkier back then than you are certainly now. Um, was that yeah. was that Don James's last year? Did you play? On Don James's yeah, last that team, yeah, yeah, that's that's when the whole scandal broke, and uh, he really showed he was such a master. Uh, you know, he was such a general, and his strategies were so uh, they were. You know, I didn't even know really what was happening because he he wasn't very vocal. But I, when I would watch the games and look at the playbook, I was like, oh yeah, we're gonna probably win this game. He's a way better player. Uh, because we would run as a scout offense, we would run the, uh, the plays of the you know the opposing teams, and I was I was like, oh, I feel like we're better. And sure, sure, the defense was they were monsters and uh, were NFL players who like tried to avoid being hit by because I would just burst out crying and run away. But uh, but it was yeah, Don. He was always very nice to me and really cool and my my. My coach, Mouth Corey, who was the tight end coach, was an incredibly nice man. He's passed on sadly. And uh, uh, so I, I just looked back and that's the place where I really learned how to work hard. I've never seen guys working harder. And between juggling school, learning these playbooks, traveling, practicing, weightlifting, I was just like, oh, this is a level that you need to exist at if you want do something you want to do. And I took that to heart. And, uh, yeah, I, I know this sounds like some song Tony Robbins now, but it really, I was like, Oh, you don't have to just, I was like, I never was a person that sat around and I'm like, Oh, I, I, I'm going to try to do, you know, I knew I wanted to act and I didn't want to have to get a real job. So I just made sure I never did. Hmm. Before we get off of the football thing. And I ask you a little bit about, all this success that you've had in your field. Um, I, I have to ask you to tell us about the Dave Hoffman hit. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know much about it, except that I'm supposed to ask you about the Dave Hoffman hit. Tell me about that. Uh, well, Dave Hoffman, all American defensive player, who is incredibly large and also an incredibly talented brother, uh, Steve Hoffman. I mean, talk about a, I, whatever happened with their mom and dad, uh, they <laughs> produced these Big super man. athletes. And Dave was the hardest. Dave was not the biggest guy on the team. Dave was definitely the hardest kidding guy. I to this day, I don't think there was. There was. I think Steve Entman was the only person that could hit harder than him. And he was not a big guy. And I, he's one of those guys where I. He went on to work in the Secret Service, and I thought, oh my gosh. If you run across that guy and he's trying to get to the president, watch out because Dave Hoffman is, is, is watching. He lit me up. I was I just was doing a hot route, but as you know, when a blitz comes in, you yep. can yep. turns out so they could just get a dump pass. And he hit me so hard, not the way that I mean, really hard. The hardest I've had a knocked out before, and I had knocked out before. But I was like, oh, there's no aim in my lungs. It's not going to come back in the next day or two. I think. And, I, they make you do, if the play is successful, they make you do the play again. Because I had caught the ball, but he had hit me, he was ready for it. So then they make you do the play again. And I look at the team, and I can't breathe or talk at that point. I'm just making these gasping noises, and they start setting up the play again. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, we did the same play. I caught it again. He 
lit me up. I lost the ball. I, so I thought the double air knocked out of me. I don't know how. I think I started breathing. I, I grew gills at that point because my body was laughing <laughs> for oxygen so hard. And then they asked for the play to be called again, which I no. thought this was, this was a trick. They started trying to murder me, and uh, and then I, I got on the line, still had to breathe for about three minutes, and I look up, and Dave's looking at me. <laughs> And he's smiling, and he's like, "You're cool this time." And I was like, "And I, yeah, I and then when they said hi, I just ran, you know, the opposite direction, <laughs> and uh, I was not. But I just ran. I think I ran into the locker room and into my car. Uh, uh, but I was like, "I'm not going to get hit." And I have now reconnected with Dave in the last few years, and uh, he's just the nicest man you've ever met. Yeah. So is Steve. So is Steve. And he can crush. Um, I don't know, a car tire in his hand. He could turn to, to I don't know, I, I've never seen anybody like that. I said, but, but, but he can cry. I, I, he's just so, he's uh, such a, an amazing athlete. I, I think he and like Gertie Conwell, Napoleon Kaufman, Lincoln Kennedy, and Mark Brunel, when I see these guys out there, I'll just be like, oh, these are professional athletes. There's a difference between there's high school athletes, there's college athletes, and then there's pro athletes, and you can tell. Which one of them? There was one guy on the team named Bob Sack who sure, uh, sure. went on to be a K-1 fighter in Japan. And he was a terrifying athlete. And he got on the bench for a little bit, but then he became a very successful mixed martial artist when mixed martial arts were just starting out. And he was the nicest guy. And I, when I see these footage of him in Japan fighting guys, I was like, he's really nice. Just don't ever make him mad. He, and he is going to... He'll go. It was very impressive. Mm. Great guy. All right, you go to grad school. What is what is unexpected productions, and what did you do? I guess you met your wife after well, after you graduated undergrad from UW, and you stay around for a while. Do you go to LA? Give it a shot. What'd you do? Well, well, no. I, I um, so in '95 when I graduated, I got I got a job um, working. I got an internship. Well, right out of college, I got a job on Almost Live, which was a sketch comedy show on the end on, on King. Yep. And it, or it uh, to this day, I think they're still running it. And uh, people like John Keister and, and Pat Cashman, Bill Stain and Nancy Guppy, and uh, Steve Wilson and and um, uh, Tracy Conway. I mean, there's these these guys were these heightened. Uh, well, and of course, Bob Nelson, who was uh, on Almost Live, and then went on to be nominated for an Oscar for writing the movie Nebraska. Um, these guys took me under their wing and let me be on their show and let me screw up because I couldn't read teleprompter. And, um, it's ironic because for the soup, I read teleprompter for a living, uh, which was a whole new adventure of uh, not necessarily uh, good at it or, or today. But um, uh, but so I was on that show uh, and, and I met my wife my la- my senior year. And I married her a year later, um, and so I was full on Seattle. But then I knew, I knew I wanted to come to LA and try it. So I went to graduate school for three years at the University of Washington because I was like, I'm okay at acting. I'm not good enough yet. And so I got three years of really solid education on that, and that just would be really helpful, which it was. It was great. It was a great program. And um, and then we moved here in 2000. 
uh, when Mitch, when you were, I think, turning six. <laughs> no, and no. So yeah, I mean, that was that was all. The '90s were wonderfully packed, and um, it's so weird to look back on them. Like, like the '90s started 30 years ago, which is bananas. Yeah. Hard, hard to believe. Hard to believe. Okay, so what yeah. was? What was the big break? What was the moment where Joel McHale realized, geez, uh, I could do this for the rest of my life or for a long time and make some money at it um, and be able to support a family and have a family and do what I want to do and I don't have to get a real job. When did you know that? What, what happened? Was it the soup? I, I, I wasn't a big the soup a watcher. Uh, I remember when Craig Kilborn, I got the joke at the beginning of uh, the Kimmel show. I, I hope I'm not the only one who got that joke. Um, what was it that, what, what, yeah. what was the time where you said, hey, I can do this for a while and hang out and not have to worry about getting a real job? Uh, there, I still don't think, uh, I, I, being a, a real insecure actor all the time, I'm always like, this is probably my last job. Uh I still have that in the back of my head because most actors are kind of, uh, we're just, you hustle. You're just hustling all the time. Even when it's going well, you're hustling. Um, there was never, there was never a moment. Well, there was never a moment where I went, I did it. I've conquered the hill. And I never, never had that moment. Right. Um, the soup was a very gradual hit, uh, and it was a qualified. I mean, it was on basic cable, so it never. It, it definitely had an audience for uh, a, for e entertainment, which was great. Uh, uh, so was, that that was great. Um, I guess when I did the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and yeah, uh, I think when Obama referenced my character on Community, I was like, oh. It was a whole good thing. Uh, it, it worked. And, um, but, uh, of course, I couldn't really enjoy it in the moment because I was just about to go up and tell jokes after the president killed it. And so um, there's been little, like, I've got to appear on Sesame Street. Those are the moments where I'm like, oh, this is working. Those are the things um, that I go, oh, thank uh... you. And see and the rest of the time, I mean, we always thought it was going to be canceled, always. And, uh, even though it was pretty designed. Uh, so that was good. You know, like I got to be, and I, I, it was early on in 2009, I was in a Steven Soderbergh movie, and, and that was, I was like, I cannot believe I'm here, and, and, and teams with Matt Damon. And, uh, but then again, it's, Steven Soderbergh is such a minimalist when it comes to production that we were all in the same really crappy hotel room. And I'm like, what am I doing in this hotel room with the door closed with Matt Damon and Steven Soderbergh? That was, that was one of those moments where I'm like, this is all very surreal. Uh, and so there, I'm trying to think. There wasn't a moment like I ever went, did it. Um, but there is little things like, oh, I bought a sports car that I really wanted. That really, that really, I was like, oh, this demonstrates that you made a certain amount of money that you could get you got this car and uh but as as we all know it's not the uh, it's a nice little marker but it's not like it's yeah the, uh, yeah it's how you you go like well i'm gonna go lie on my car to make myself <laughs> happy that. well if you want uh, if you want to yeah. know if you want to know well what led mitch to call to get him on Mitch Unfiltered, Joel, back in his hometown. The story is this, that during the pandemic, 
we're all tied down to the house like everybody else. And I started coming into the family room, and I have a, an 18 and a 14, a soon-to-be University of Washington student, hopefully, uh, someday, and then a, an incoming freshman in high school. And the two of them and their mom are huddled around the TV howling. I mean, they're howling. And I'm like, what? It's, this is this, I see an old Chevy Chase on there. And I'm like, every night I come and they watch one after the other after the other. And I'm like, well, what, sh- what show is this? And they're like, it's called, it's called Community. I'm like, I've never heard of it. Is this a new show, an old show? No, it was on. It was on before. And it's just one after the other. And I'm like, can we watch something else? And they're like, no, we can't. And then I notice this this tall, lanky, 6'4", kind of lead actor guy. And I said, wait a second, that's the guy from the Northwest. And and Max, my oldest, says, well, you got to get him on the show. He might remember you from KJR all your years there. You got you to gotta get him on the show. So that's... I, I mean, this is a this is like taking over our world, the community. How many shows did you guys do? And is there going to be a reunion show? And you got to give me something that I can take back to my 18 and 14 year old. Something about that show that will make their dad look cool in their eyes. Well, I don't know what happened next, but um, <laughs> we both know I have a 12 and 15, and there's no, I mean, almost <laughs> nothing you can do to be cool about anything. So. Uh, Boy, uh, yeah, no, we ended that, that. That show ended in 2015. That show ended of half a decade ago. And uh, I think with, for whatever, I mean, I know what reason. I mean, Netflix changed everything for us this year. And I think it was also because fans of the show have been growing since the show ended. And it's kind of like, do you remember a show called Fireflies, Joss Whedon and no. The Incredible Nathan Fillion? No. Um, that show, if you go, it, that came out like 2002, only 13 episodes. And to this day, people are bananas for that show, which I highly recommend. And um, But Community was in a terrible time slot. It was not well promoted. And uh, it was always considered a bubble show that was always going to be canceled. But when we were making it, I was like, oh, I know I'm on a good show. This is really good writing, and it's some of the best writing I've ever encountered and probably ever will. And and then you got, you know, schlubs like Donald Glover on the show. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I'm, you know, from it being on Netflix and obviously Donald becoming the biggest star on the planet, it helped. And, and I think it showed, for whatever, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I mean, I know that you know, Dan Harmon is one of the best writers on the planet, and and so is Chris McKenna. Um and they, you know, they, I mean, they included uh, Ruth and Morty, which is also beloved. And then Chris McKenna has written, you know, the last couple Spider-Mans and Jumanji and Marvel movies. So it, those guys are professionals. And uh, so I knew, I, I don't, it, it's been so wonderful because the show has a brand new life. And yeah, yeah. I was very strange to be recognized by, you know, like a 14-year-old in a grocery store to be like, <laughs> Hey, you and the boss. Uh, but it's great. Um, so I'm so happy that people are singing because at the time we knew the show. Was I rarely, I'm, I can tell you uh, uh, for an hour all the crap that I've been in, but I can tell you definitively that was a good show. So it makes me, makes me so happy that your family likes it. Yeah, they love it. They love it. And I'm, 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 slowly, I'm slowly getting into it. All right, so conclude with me on this. 
uh, and we'll revisit. Hopefully, if you'll you'll carve out some time during the football season, if we if we can get to the football season, yeah. and you and I'll talk nothing but Seahawks. But conclude with me on this: What's next? How often do you get home? I'm assuming you still have family back here. Um, give us a sense of where you're going once we can get through this madness of COVID-19. Uh, well, if this was a typical year, we'd probably be up there 10 times. And my parents still live in the same house on Western Island, and my mother-in-law lives on Vashon. My brother lives uh, out of the plateau. And I have friends everywhere there, so I love going back. It's very weird now to walk through downtown uh, Seattle because I don't recognize anything. Um, I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be old because everything changes. And um, I, you know, I love getting up there. I, I would love usually get up to five games, depending upon what's happening in the year. Uh, and I love, to, I love to get up there for stand-up because then it gives me an excuse to get back sure, up there. Sure. But, uh, boy, coming up for me, I host a game for ABC uh, with, uh, called Card Sharks. That's right. Uh, there's a, but we have, there's all these 70s game shows we brought back, like Alex Baldwin hosts the match game and Elizabeth Bank hosts um, Presser Luck and like Anthony Anderson hosts to tell the truth. So we, that's like a block on ABC. But I'm going to be, uh, it's just like this movie I was in called Becky with Kevin James and Lily Wilson. And it's not a comedy. It is, it is a hard horror violent movie and Kevin really? James plays a neo-Nazi. So really? uh, do not go into it thinking that, uh, yeah, apparently it's the number one movie of the summer since it's one of the only movies in Jordan. So, <laughs> you know, I think it's made a million dollars. It makes me so happy. Uh, it, it being like, wait, it's a COVID, it's a COVID hit. So there, there'll be an asterisk next to it, but I'll be uh, like, I'll take it. Uh, and um, I'm going to show on CW Cup Stargirl. And, good for you. Um, and then, uh, which is good for uh, um, Luke Wilson and Amy Smart and this amazing actor named uh, uh, Brown. Her name is Breck. Uh, she's uh, 21 years old. Uh, she's uh, anyway. Uh, she, she's a star. And uh, and then I do a podcast with Ken Jeong called um, The Darkest Timeline. Oh, you do? Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Well, it's and, great. Uh, to, the it, last guest from that was Nathan Fillion from Firefly, and before that was Shaq. So uh, it's good times. Well, uh, it's great to catch up with you. You and I have never visited before. I know that you are a a lifelong Seattle sports fan, which are, are good. That's uh, that's exactly what we what we need around here. I know that we might uh, have yeah. a little bit of we a baseball need a basketball team. Yeah. Well. That's a that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole another episode oh. of podcast. I, I hope that you and I will catch up again. My best to you and your family and those boys, and keep rooting on those Seahawks and keep on the great success both on the big screen and on the little one. We appreciate very much your time on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you well, so much. Great to visit with you, Joel. Go Hawks. Go Mariners. Go Sounders. Go Rain. Go everything. <laughs> Joel McHale right there on episode 102. Not the greatest cell phone, but hopefully you got the message. It's great to visit with the Mercer Island class of 1991 graduate. Okay, time to catch up with Zeke's president, Dan Black, on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Dan, what's the latest with our favorite spot for Northwest style pizza and great craft beer? Summer's in full swing. So what people are tuned into right now is our summer beer lineup, which is full of sunny day, easy drinkers, good for patios, good to throw 
crowlers and cans in your cooler. People are excited to be back on our patios and dining in a little bit. Tell us about that, dining in and on the patios. We're still at 50% maximum capacity for each one, right? Which gives us quite a bit of seating between uh, indoor and the patios. And a lot of our dining rooms are indoor outdoor, so they've got a garage door or something. And so there's plenty of seating to be socially distanced and to feel like you're outdoors or to actually be outdoors. And so in terms of COVID, people people want plenty of space and, and anything that's indoor, outdoor, or just purely outdoor uh, feels safe. We've, for the most part, got a lot of stuff in terms of seating that where people can come in and feel comfortable and safe and, and have a good time. What story do your numbers tell about the confidence of the Northwest to head back to restaurants, Dan? Yeah, people are dipping a toe in, you know, so it's not, it's definitely not gangbusters. A lot of people just have got used to to being pretty close to home. And frankly, a lot of people are out in the islands or summer places or lake and outdoors and, and doing stuff. So summer for dining in general in Seattle can be hit and miss and slow at times. And that's definitely the case this summer. But there's also people that are doing it. And uh, there's plenty of out people that are thankful to be around people again. And just sitting in a restaurant or a bar with other people is, is kind of a treat nowadays. And there's definitely plenty of people that are excited to do that. Obviously, delivery is such a huge part of Zeke's model. Assuming you are not as concerned with some of the spike in numbers because we can all download the Zeke's Pizza app and we're a click away from a craft beer growler at our door. Correct. And uh, it's been great to have dining rooms open again and, and have that business back. But takeout and delivery is still where the strength is. So that continues to be the strongest part of our business. And we continue to, to be excited about that. And we've been talking about beer for a long time. That continues to be the big theme, which is people are ordering a lot of pizza, people are ordering a lot of beer, and uh, delivery and takeout is their preferred method for that for the most part. Dan Black, Zeke's Pizza President. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for being such a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Well before Adam's comments appeared in Friday's New York Daily News ripping the organization, the Jets were well into talks with the Seattle Seahawks on the trade that went down Saturday afternoon that'll send two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and Bradley McDougal to the New York Jets in exchange for Adams. Five receptions today. That's a season high for the rookie. As Jones has it taken away by Jamal Adams, and he is in for a Jets touchdown. He stripped the ball from Goodness, Jamal Adams. Well, big Seahawks news over the weekend, not unlike a year ago when John Schneider's wheeling and dealing brought Jadeveon Clowney to town. The best young safety in the game might be Jamal Adams, and he's now a Seahawk for a hefty price. When I first heard of the news, I immediately thought, let's get Sonny and Cher back together again. <laughs> ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Henderson and Joe Fan, the same for NBC Sports Northwest, and I'll let everybody else decide which one is Sonny and which one is Cher. Boys, thanks for the visit here on episode 102. Scott and I talked a lot about the whopper of a deal in the first segment. Let's start with you, Brady Henderson. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs to the side for the Seahawks. I'm going to say thumbs uh, slightly pointing upwards. And, and you know, I've, I've started to come around 
on the deal a little bit, the more I've heard about Adams and what type of player he is, and the more I've I've thought about you know the true value of those two first round picks. And I was like you um, in the well, a I was also on the golf course when the news broke, but I was like you in the sense that. I, there, there's an immediate sticker shock when you hear about a team trading two first-round picks. It has not been, it has not happened very often in the history of the NFL. I think when you think more about the value of those two first-round picks, it's a team picking late in the first round. Um, so th- that's not the same thing as say, you know, the Browns or the Dolphins trading two first-round picks. So you got to consider the value there, and then just consider that you're getting uh, one heck of a football player, uh, and really for a team that needs an infusion of blue-chip talent, I, I did not think that this defense was a Super Bowl caliber defense before they traded for Jamal Adams. I think they're a lot closer now than they were yesterday. So so thumbs at 10 o'clock or at 11 o'clock or somewhere between 10 and 11 o'clock, Brady? Let me uh, picture Let me picture a clock right now. Yeah, um, yeah I would say right around 10 o'clock. Yeah, so yeah slightly. above 9, but okay. not, quite, uh, not quite 12. All right, Joe, the floor's yours. I would even go more aggressive and say uh, my thumbs up towards 11 or 12. I think it's a home run trade. I think this is a team that needs to win now with Russell Wilson being firmly in his prime and you just got a blue chip player and they haven't been able to draft him late in the first round or even in the later rounds of the draft. And, you know, the depth and quality of the roster is improved, but you need superstars to win championships. And, and I'm a firm believer the Seahawks didn't have enough of that on the defensive side of the football. And they're getting, again, like as Brady said, closer to that level now. Jamal Adams is a certified superstar. And I think fans are a bit jaded from how cheap Jadavian Clowney came a year ago. But there's a heavy cost normally to getting these blue chip type players. And the way I look at it is this, is if you put uh, the 27th pick out there and you try to trade up to the number six pick where Jamal Adams was taken, the, the, the price would be astronomical, even greater than what the Seahawks just paid for Adams to get him uh, in the deal over the weekend. So and, and Adams has done nothing but impress in his three years. So to me, he's a guy who compares favorably to Cam Chancellor, maybe a bit better uh, in coverage and probably a better pass rusher. So um, I think it's an absolutely fantastic deal. Okay. It's my job to play devil's advocate. I, I kind of, I find myself kind of in the middle of Brady, maybe a little more enthusiastic than Brady. You say home run, Joe. I might say you know, either a long single or will leg out a double. But let me play devil's advocate with you for a second, Joe. It's a lot to sink in a safety. Think about that. Two first rounders and then the subsequent contract that they're going to have to give him. Those types of packages are reserved for the Khalil Max, the the edge pass rushers, the shutdown corners, the, the great left tackles and the quarterbacks. Those four premium positions. You don't see teams sinking that type of compensation and then contract on top of it for safeties. Yeah, I think my counterpoint would be, you know, the league is going more towards you. You hear of this kind of positionless NFL and guys like Derwin James and Jamal Adams being the perfect chess pieces on defense. When you have offensive minds, especially in your own division, like Sean McVay, who Seattle has traditionally had trouble with, uh, Kyle Shanahan, now Cliff Kingsbury, all three of those guys are so good at putting their offensive skill players in positions to where they feel like they have a matchup advantage. So you need players on defense that can similarly be that mismatch to where you feel good about whether he's covering uh, a wide receiver in the slot or a tight end or running back out of the backfield or the ability to rush the passer or play against the run. You need that Swiss army knife type player when the offense is trying to do the same thing with all of their personnel. And so to me, that's kind of my counterpoint, right? Where yes, he's a safety quote unquote, but um, this guy is, a line, is lined up at linebacker and an edge rusher on the defensive line. 
you know, often in times more than he's been at safety. So uh, I do think he's a little bit more than just, oh, you, did, you paid a, this astronomical price for a quote-unquote strong safety. To me, Jamal Adams is so much more than that, and he has the capability of transforming your defense. Hey, Sonny, I mean, Brady, you, your thumb <laughs> is at 10 o'clock. Let me throw... Wait, a, that means I'm share. <laughs> let me throw a real, a real curveball at you, Brady. If just before making this deal, you're John Schneider... And the Jacksonville Jaguars GM calls you and says, Brady, Sonny, Schneider, before you make that deal, we'll give you Ngakwe for a first rounder and a third rounder. You can keep McDougald. You can keep the extra first rounder. You give us a first and third. We'll give you Ngakwe, and then you can sign him to a long-term contract at the end of the year, a pass rusher who's known for double-digit sacks. Which deal would you make, Brady? I would strongly consider the Ngakwe deal, you know, even though it would be presumably more money than what you're you know, potentially going to have to pay Jamal Adams. At, you know, at the top of the safety market, it's probably going to be $15 million versus – uh, you know, something near the top for DNs. Now you're talking, you know, north of $20 million. But you're also talking about a, you know, a more, you know, a position that I think most teams would, uh, you know, place a much higher importance on. Now, you know, going back to that, that last question that you asked Joe about, you know, the, the, the value of a strong safety, I think that in Pete Carroll's defense, you know, NFL people might tell you that that position is probably more valuable in their defense than it is for most of the NFL and you've seen the impact that Camp Chancellor has made, uh, the type of impact he can make at that position, even while playing in the box, as opposed to playing a deep safety who's more of a ball hawk. So I'm kind of contradicting myself there because I, I, I would probably still lean slightly more towards Ngakwe. But then again, that's me, and that's how I feel about the state of their pass rush. I think we've seen over the last five months or, or however long it's been since free agency started, I think it's pretty clear that the Seahawks, that John Schneider feels a lot better about their pass rush than most of observers do so um, I don't know if, if what deal if any deal was on the table for Ngakwe but uh, I, I actually wonder if he might take the Adams deal over that one yeah Joe is it a little twisted that the Seahawks fans who love this deal and think Schneider and Carroll did a great great job getting this fabulous young player kind of like it because they don't think those two guys do a very good job drafting in the late stages of the first round and who are you going to get anyway Jermaine Fetty again at 26 and 27 isn't there a little a, a little twist and turn to this yeah I think it's it's a silly justification but I honestly do think it's a little bit of the Seahawks saying you know whether it's they're really outwardly admitting it or not there's probably a realization of you know what it is hard to hit on those picks in terms of getting game-changing players like uh, Jamal Adams. And frankly, we haven't been very good at it. And, 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 you know, beyond that, we've been pretty bad at it. And so it is a little bit, you know, are the Seahawks leaning into it to where they're even saying, okay, you know what, you know, we don't have a justification for how poor we've been in the first round, but you know, now we know we've got this sure thing and certainly it's expensive. You're not getting to enjoy the, the cheap years of Jamal Adams career. And you're going to have to pay him, you know, next off season, surely. And it's going to be probably the richest safety deal in the history of the NFL. But you know, it is a, a funny wrinkle to it, but at the same time, I don't think you, as a fan, you should look at it and say, Oh, who cares? Those picks mean nothing simply because the Seahawks haven't been good at taking advantage of them. There's still a value to those picks. Brady, on the contract front, 
Do you have any information or anybody at ESPN have any information whether Schneider had some contractual conversations to find out the parameters of an Adams deal pre-trade? Will the Hawks even want to do a new deal pre-2021? I know he will, Adams will, or would they prefer to play him this year and next year, wait till the franchise tag situation rolls around and then do a deal with him. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm, I'm sure that they had conversations beforehand about uh, what he's going to be looking for on a contract. And I think that, you know, they probably could have just assumed that he's, you know, wants to be the highest paid safety just based on public comments he's made in the past. You know, remember he got, uh, got kind of upset when he heard his name floated uh, in trade talks. And I think he made a comment about would the Buccaneers be shopping Tom Brady or would the Rams be shopping Aaron Donald? So, that kind of gives you an idea of, of how highly he values himself. So I think it's pretty clear he wants to be the highest paid safety, and I'm sure the Seahawks are well aware of that. I have not gotten the impression that any deal is, is in the works, and I think my colleague Jeremy Fowler reported that there's nothing in place right now. But, you know, look, when the team gives up two first-round picks, again, it is very rare for a team to give up that much. And that is not a price that a, that a team pays just to have this be a short-term rental the way Sheldon Richardson was in 2017 or the way Clowney was uh, last year. This is, this is a price that you're paying with an eye towards signing that guy, and, and maybe that's next year. And I think the question then becomes, well, is Adams going to be okay? You know, as, as much as he wanted a new deal from the Jets and as, as he forced his way out of there because he wanted a new deal, is he going to be willing to play out this year? I'm sure that the Seahawks had assurance that would be okay if the plan is indeed to wait until next season. And, and you know, on that, just to play amateur psychologist, you know, I think players, obviously, when they're in situations like Adams, they want the money, right? They, they, want, they want the bag, but they also want to be valued. And the money is one way that, that a team shows its value. But I think a team like the Seahawks trading two first-round picks for him I think that that sends a pretty clear message about how they value him, and maybe that feeling is going to be enough to carry him into next season when it's probably more realistic for the Seahawks to get a deal done with him. Okay, final question for Joe Fan and Brady Henderson, two Seahawks insiders, nice enough to be with us on episode 102 of Mitch Unfiltered. Joe, we'll start with you. So where is the defense, the Seahawks defense right now, compared to where they were last year? No Clowney as of now. No Quentin Jefferson as of now. They've added Irvin. They've added Mayoa. They've swapped Adams in, McDougald out. I guess it's really hard to get our arms around the right corner position. I don't know who the right corner is as of today. I think we'd like to think it's Dunbar, but who knows with him. Brady kind of showed his hand on what he thinks of the answer to this question in his first answer. What do you think? Are they are they substantially better right now? Are they about the, I, I guess really right now you're at Adams in, Clowney out, Irvin and Mayoa in, McDougald out. Where are we? I think they're a step forward and potentially a significant step forward depending on whether or not uh, Dunbar is able to play, and that's a huge if right now. We just don't know how that's going to turn out with his legal troubles potentially being able to play and potentially being putting uh, on the NFL commissioner's exempt list. So uh, we don't know how that's going to play out, but I still think it's fair to say they're better. I think the defensive line, while without Clowney, well, quite frankly, it's hard to get worse, right? Only 28 sacks a year ago is, is embarrassing. But at the same time, you look at the defensive line now, and I think the overall depth and quality is much better to where 
if Clowney were to come back, and obviously that's, again, a big if, we don't know, but the depth is so much better there. You have Jaron Reed, who they hope and are banking on. He's the 2018 version of himself. Benson Mayoa and Bruce Irvin are guys who combine for 15 and a half sacks, and you throw the rookies in, uh, Alton Robinson and Daryl Taylor, who will have a chance to contribute right away. I think at linebacker, you're, you're taking a step forward, and you hopefully get Bobby Wagner going back to his kind of more traditional role and less in coverage now that the safety spots are more shored up with Quandre Diggs, a full season of him, and then now Jamal Adams, again, a legitimate superstar um, who should be used as a, a dynamic chess piece all over the field. So I think it's safe to say the Seahawks are uh, are better on that side of the football at this yeah. point. Yeah, and you think so too, right, Brady? Because you said they're much closer to a Super Bowl-caliber defense now than they were before. Yeah, I, I do, and, and it's about blue-chip talent, like Joe said earlier. And I was exchanging messages with uh, an executive from another team after this trade went down, and, and this person is pretty familiar with Adams. And he made the point that, you know, that defense has really been missing – the Cam Chancellor presence since he last played in 2017. Just in terms of uh, of an enforcer, uh, in terms of a leader, just a tone setter on and off the field. And again, I mentioned, you know, I think that position might have more value in Pete Carroll's defense. This executive called him the, the perfect fit for Seattle's defense. So I think that gives you an idea of why they gave up so much to get him. And I think it gives you an idea of, of how good that they think he can be in their defense. And so um, again, it goes back to the conversation about this isn't just your average strong safety this is a a blue chip cornerstone all pro player and uh, i think that can make a pretty big difference obviously the pass rush is is still a question mark right cornerback is still a question mark but i think at least in terms of what they gave up i think it's pretty clear that they think that this guy can be a massive difference maker so as we finish i want to read to our audience what i sent you guys in a text uh, on saturday night and get your reaction to it brady uh, I wrote to you guys, here's how I figure it. You're at $14.5 million underneath the cap right now. Cut Hollister and you're at $17.8 million. Give Clowney a one-year $10 million and assurance that he's playing on a Super Bowl team with a chance to make a lot more money the following year. Now you're at $7.8 million. If Dunbar ends up on the exempt list, you get his money back at eleven point two. If Dunbar plays while they're finagling in Florida – you're at $7.8 million under the cap, and you have a defense with Adams, Clowney, and Dunbar. What do you think of that? Yes, I think that that is – it's not totally far-fetched. And I've said all along that, um, you know, it's, it's not likely that Clowney comes back, but the door is not closed. And the question, I think, would become – is he going to be able to swallow his pride and take a deal for $10 million or less than $10 million when the Seahawks offered him a lot more than that a few months ago? And, you know, just to to sort of, you know, the argument piece by piece, I think with Hollister, I'm not sure that they would do that because he might be the surest thing they have at tight end with Will Disley possibly, you know, not being ready by the start of the season. Same thing with Colby Parkinson. So um, it would probably be some other player that they might cut, Joey Hunt, Brandon Jackson, somebody like that. They would certainly have to, to make some cuts there. Uh, and I think the question would be, are you weakening, you know, other positions just to strengthen the pass rush? And if you're talking about Jadivion Clowney at $10 million, if they could make that work, that might be a pretty tough deal to pass up. It would just be a matter of, is Clowney going to take that deal when he already turned down something yeah. around, I yeah. believe, $15, $16 million yeah. from the Seahawks? Boy, you guys are good. Better than you were back in the day with I Got You, Babe. I mean, you much, much better. <laughs> so I thank you very much. Let's see who answers to what. Thank you, Sonny. Thanks so very much for being with us. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having us. Uh, Cher, 
Thank you for being with us. The honor was mine. Appreciate the invite. <laughs> Joe Fan and Brady Henderson, uh, follow their work on Twitter. Follow them on NBC Sports Northwest and, of course, ESPN and the Insider. Thank you, guys. Thanks very much for being with us. You bet. I, I like to think of us more as the Beavis and Butthead of the Seahawks beat as opposed <laughs> no. to the Sunny and Chair, but you can call us whatever you want. Brady Henderson, Seahawks insider, ESPN, and Joe Fan, also a Seahawks insider for NBC Sports Northwest. Both of those guys do a great job on exactly what the Seahawks did over the weekend by acquiring all-pro safety Jamal Adams. It's time to catch up with the CEO of Daniels Broiler. Here's our friend Lindsey Schwartz to give us some good news about the reopening of two more Daniels Broiler locations. Lindsey? Yeah, that's right, Mitch. We finally got to open uh, two more. So we opened Bellevue and then we opened Lake Union the night after that. And uh, we're off to a pretty good start. So far, so good. Okay, so what can you tell us about what we'll find at the three locations now? Les Shy, Daniels Broiler, Bellevue, and Lake Union in terms of how much capacity seating, how close will we be to the next party, all of that stuff. Sure, yeah. Well, King County has moved into phase two. Inside in the dining rooms, we can do 50% capacity. And outside on the decks and patios, we can do 50% capacity. And fortunately, all three of those locations uh, have either decks or patios. And so that really helps. All the tables are six feet apart. So we've removed tables from the dining rooms to ensure that everybody's at least six feet apart. Uh, and then all the other things that, that, that we do to keep people six feet apart. We have signage. Uh, we have those, those decals on the floors for people to stand on when they're checking in at the front desk. Uh, of course, all of our team members are wearing masks and gloves. And now, you know, all guests are required to wear masks. And so we enforce that. We've got disposable menus. We've got hand sanitizer available throughout the restaurant. And we thoroughly sanitize the tables in between each use and thoroughly sanitize uh, all the common areas, areas on a regular basis. So we're taking it very seriously as, uh, as you would expect us to. So now that South Lake Union and Bellevue are open, that means delivery from those two spots as well, correct? That's right. Yeah. All three spots are work with DoorDash as our third-party delivery company. So it's available from all three. So that's expanded our geographic footprint for delivery since we've opened an additional two locations. And then all three are available for pickup. And what's cool about pickup is you can also do beer, wine, and even cocktails for the pickups. 40th year anniversary of Daniel's Broiler, part of the fabric, as I like to say, of the Pacific Northwest. And we're celebrating with $40 bottles of Vouv Clicquot. But that is, is that only less shy or is that available at the other two locations that are now open as well? That's only at Leshi for now. That's the first restaurant. It's, it's actually, that's the one that's celebrating the 40-year anniversary. And so we've got it limited to that for now. That may change at some point. But right now, if you want the $40 move, you go get it at Leshi. I got to say that everybody's itching to go back to restaurants, and we've all missed a lot of special occasions, and there is no better place to celebrate your special occasion, whether it's a birthday or an anniversary, a graduation dinner. You've got to do it at Daniel's Broiler now with three locations back open. South Lake Union, Leshy, and Bellevue Place. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. 
I think we will likely know uh, whether a vaccine is safe and effective given the number of phase three trials that are starting literally next week. And there are some in other countries that are already ongoing that we should know by the end of December of this year, the beginning of next year. There are some companies that claim that might be a month or two sooner. I'm a little skeptical about that, but you know, anything is possible, but I think it's gonna be towards the end of the year. You know, it's been a few months since Harvard scientist and epidemiologist, Dr. Eric Ding jumped on Mitch Unfiltered with us as we see COVID-19 numbers rising in most areas and many groups around the world are huddled and racing towards a vaccine. Here he is on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline all over again. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm good. Hope everyone's staying safe. We're trying. So it feels like the woman, I think her name is Sarah Gilbert at Oxford University, Eric, is ahead mm-hmm. at this juncture of the race. Yes, no, maybe so. What do, what do you think? They, they seem to have had some encouraging news last Monday. Yeah, indeed. And last Monday was a big day because two groups published their phase two vaccine trial. Phase two means they're actually testing, does it yield an immune response that could neutralize the virus. And the Oxford trial group had one of the most exciting results, a thousand people, um, randomized trial, and they tested it. And indeed, it increased people's antibodies, neutralizing antibodies. It held for up to 56 weeks and they even tried a booster, but uh, even without the booster, it was quite effective for the entire duration. So People are really excited, and that trial is also continuing in Brazil in a bigger trial to see if it actually prevents COVID-19. So it's very exciting and hopeful. What is the next step? Walk us through how these vaccines come to fruition, if you wouldn't mind. Right. So there's different phases. Phase one is like a dozen, like two or three dozen in testing the safety. The phase two is like a couple hundred to a thousand people, which they did to see does it yield an immune response? And that's what they found, which incidentally, another Chinese group also published the same day, also found their vaccine also worked. And But what's next is now you have to actually prove that actually prevents you from getting COVID. Actual COVID prevents you from getting COVID because that's the point of a vaccine, right? And for that, you have to need, you need to do it in a very high COVID area uh, and with thousands of people, two, 3,000 people, and you have to do it for several months. And that's what they're doing in Brazil right now. That trial has already started, and Brazil has a runaway epidemic. In certain ways, you can't do this in Denmark, where there's almost no epidemic, but they're doing it in Brazil. And hopefully we will have answers in a few months of whether their vaccine prevents COVID and how well. Because how well is we want it to be as effective as possible above 80%, preferably 90% effective, and that it has little to no side effects, which so far it seems pretty good that there's almost no side effects. Let's assume that in the next however many phases, there are no speed bumps, absolutely no speed bumps. It goes smoothly. What's the time frame we're talking about here? I think the time frame is, again, depends how quickly people get sick. That's that's the unfortunate thing. In Brazil, if the epidemic still continues in a runaway fashion, they might get results sooner. And maybe by September, they will take an early look. 
And sometimes in these trials, they take a sneak peek as the engine is running, right? Mm-hmm. To see if it's already having an effect. And they might get a early peak in the September and maybe final results by October. And then assuming that we're already ramping up because this is the AstraZeneca vaccine, they're already ramping up 100 million doses for probably emergency use once positive results come out. And maybe healthcare workers and essential workers could get an early dose by the end of the year before Christmas. But for the general population, you'll need billions of doses, assuming it works. And that's why Fauci says, Dr. Fauci says he thinks we will, it will be early 2021 whenever the general population can start to get it. I guess my next question, Eric, is a two-parter. First of all, is there a U.S. company that's that's making headway like Moderna I had heard about? Uh, They've gotten lots of headlines uh, in its quest for the vaccination. And then my second part to that question is, and you can answer them in any order that you'd like, does it matter whether it's here in the the United States or it's somewhere across the planet? Everybody's going to share, right? Or are there complications to an overseas outfit sharing the vaccine with us here in the United States? Right. So just to be clear, there are actually dozens of vaccine research groups. And there's about 10 that are in active trials, phase two, phase three. And so there are many groups that's chasing the vaccine. And there is a group that has joined a WHO consortium, but they have to basically, you know, give up certain patent uh, rights to it in the early phases. And some pharma companies did not want to buy into that. But there's a Chinese group that they offered uh, their vaccine, um, and their vaccine also was published the same week. At the same time, U.S. Uh, Warp Speed initiatives helped fund part of the Oxford vaccine. So if the Oxford vaccine works, it, U.S. will have early access to it as well. There is a lot of collaboration, but the WHO group, you know, in certain ways, I think ultimately it's, I think we will have multiple vaccines, uh, but they're, they're designed different ways. There's different ways of vaccine delivery. And I think some may have longer-lasting effects. Some might be short-term, but higher efficacy, but, you know, shorter term, and may need a booster. The Oxford one may need a booster. And so in certain ways, I think U.S. will be at the head of the line. But if I was saying India, I would expect that, you know, I probably would not be at the head of the line in terms of accessing the vaccine. But ultimately, Europe has negotiated $40 a dose, and U.S. has also negotiated $40 a dose. And hopefully the vaccines will be affordable and, and hopefully freely available once it comes out. And I think we will be at the top of the pecking order once um, the results come out. You just mentioned that Anthony Fauci was saying, you know, I don't, I don't remember the exact quote, many months or a handful of months into 2021. Maybe you just answered the, the last question or the next question. Is he being completely candid or is his job to temper enthusiasm and expectations that we all have? I think he's trying to um, hedge a little because there is a chance that none of the vaccines work or they work, but they're in terms of they could have you know, the side effects could be higher with one vaccine than the other. And then, you know, they have to figure out, well, should we lower the dose and would it be just as effective? And there's, you know, he's trying to also see, you know, 
because he's telling us the results for the general populations. Once we have the ramped up production, I think in certain ways, healthcare workers could get it much earlier. Oxford Group says they could have healthcare workers having it by October, if not uh, September, if things go swimmingly well. But obviously that requires lots of emergency approvals, which still has lots of logistic hurdles. But in certain ways, I think emergency workers and healthcare workers could honestly get it by the end of the year. But Fauci does not want to raise people's hopes because it will be very limited supply for those people. And so I think that's why winter and spring 2021 is the more honest answer for everyone. Eric, I remember asking you many months ago about summertime U.S. climate conditions and how the virus is going to react. And your answer was very was very honest. We, we don't know much about this virus. And now mm-hmm. now we're in mm-hmm. July, almost August. We're in we're in the hot months in the United States. Have we learned what what, what is your conclusion about COVID-19 as it pertains to the environment around us? Weather conditions. I think the key power in the environment is whether you're indoors or outdoors, to be honest. Because indoor, we know it has stagnant air, poor ventilation, or poor recirculation of air that hasn't been properly desanitized. I think indoor is the main issue. And we're actually seeing that, I think, in in parts of the Sun Belt. Arizona, it's so hot, like 100 degrees, that people go back indoors again because no one wants to eat outside in 100 degrees. It's the indoor transmission. And we know that the transmission, there's three kinds. There's the surface transmission. You touch something, the door handle, and then you touch your face. There is the droplets, with the big droplets in which you spit and spray when you talk. Mm-hmm. Those land within six feet. But we're now thinking that the micro droplets, the aerosols that come out of your mouth, the tiny ones can float for 20 minutes to four hours and up to 16 hours if the air is stagnant. That is actually the, potentially the major driver. And now some many experts are now think that could be the main source of transmission, which means six, six feet rule doesn't apply anymore. Right. Uh, as in, it only, it's only partially safe. And that's why I think what we know now is indoors the main risk. Because outdoors, the air will dissipate. The solution to pollution is dilution, as they, we say in environmental health. And but indoors, they do not. And so going to the beach, I think if you're outside in the beach and you're not congregating in some mosh pit or concert, it's probably okay. But oftentimes when you go to the beach, you know, you go to bars in the evening and bars and restaurants, as we know, indoors, it's very, very potentially dangerous. And I think that is what is the real concern. Um, And that's what's the concern for schools in the fall. From a sports perspective, I guess what you're going to tell me is you think baseball is pretty safe, but you probably are concerned about the NFL restarting and the NBA restarting in Orlando. Yeah, I think NFL, you can't avoid linemen crashing into each other and with the heavy breathing and such deep proximity. NBA, it's an indoor game mostly, but you know the stadium's large. Um, and baseball, it's outdoors. But I think the, the underlying problem is that their locker rooms, their locker rooms are poorly ventilated. Mm-hmm. And unless you only have outdoor locker rooms, which is an oxymoron, yeah. 
it, it, it might be very dangerous to have indoor locker room activity. And these are the things that really worries me. Anything indoors, and unless everyone masks up indoors, which you really need to uh, look going forward, it becomes a precarious risky proposition. Let's finish with this. Talk to us, Eric, about any knowledge that you might have of any advancement in the treatment of COVID cases that are serious enough to land in the hospital. In other words, if I was COVID positive and sick enough to go to the hospital, I'm 53 years old, I would imagine, Mm -hmm. I would hope that my chances of recovery should be better now than they were back in March, even without an accepted drug, just because our nation's providers have had so much experience now over the last three or four months dealing with patients with COVID-19. Is that fair? Is that truthful? Or are my, ch- are my chances no better now than had I been in the hospital in March? Yeah, I think we are learning so much more. Um, and we now have treatments. Remdesivir is one. It, there's a shortage. But remdesivir kind of shortens the illness duration more than anything and there's dexamethasone, a steroid, but the dexamethasone steroid it doesn't work for early disease. It's only if you need oxygen or on, on ventilators, very end of like severe, severe condition. It will reduce mortality. And we know how to use a lot more anti-clotting drugs to prevent really a lot of the clotting effects. And we know how to set the resp- ventilator setting so lower pressure to actually increase survival. But we know a lot of things now. I, and I, I, I want to stress that. So this is why I said before, if you're going to ever get infected, don't get infected early. If I had a choice, all things equal, get infected much later in the fall. And, and I think that's true. We'll have more drugs available because right now there's still shortages for these drugs. And we will know more. Even there's more treatments on the horizon. And further, we, there's also this emerging info that wearing masks, you know, people saying my mask protects you, your mask protects me. There's also evidence that wearing masks, especially surgical masks, it doesn't have to be N95, actually reduces the dose that that you inhale. That if you inhale them, it actually reduces how much virus, and that could actually yield people having much milder asymptomatic. And you see that in a lot of, like, for example, one cruise ship, the Diamond Princess, only 18% asymptomatic. Later on, another cruise ship in which people were masked after an outbreak, almost 81% asymptomatic. And same with a lot of meatpacking factories. Once they masked up, the people who did get sick were almost all very mild asymptomatic. So I think that is really good sign. It's a combination of if you were to get infected, but if you wore a mask, you would actually get a lower dose and have a milder illness. And if you were to get infected, we now have better treatments that can save your life. And so it's, and it's, I think these are all great signs. And it's why maybe you're going to tell me, even though they wear masks, it's why we've heard so many horror stories about our our healthcare providers. The the doctors and nurses getting sick, they get really, really sick because mm-hmm. I think you're going to tell me yeah. that, that, you know, being in the hospital setting, being in, in and around all these COVID-19 cases, they're getting a higher dosage mm-hmm. when they get when they test positive, then the guy who happens to, to come in contact with somebody who's got COVID-19 outside at a park. That's right. There is a lot of indication that uh, doctors um, and nurses are getting infected, but their cases may be 
a little bit more severe than sometimes because of the extended exposure. You know, it's just a matter of dose and exposure. But at the same time, they also have the more premium N95 masks. So in certain ways, we're still very much short on N95 masks. And this is why, you know, at the beginning, people were saying, please don't hoard these N95 masks. The healthcare workers need them the most. Right. And if healthcare workers get sick, then our healthcare system would collapse. So I think altogether, masks are important. Even cloth masks will catch all these droplets, these micro aerosols, micro droplets can stay in the air for 20 minutes to four hours on average. And I think that's incredibly important. It reduces the, the exposure for everyone around you. You know, we have a strategy going forward. It just means... And no one wants to do shutdowns. But if we have masks for all, especially surgical masks, which are, are even better uh, than regular cloth, we could actually stop this epidemic without shutdowns. Mm-hmm. And similarly with schools, if we have good ventilation, if we have really potentially upgrades in their HVAC system to add UV sanitation, which would be great if every school could afford it, but honestly, we know that that's a very difficult possibility. There are ways to defeat it. So, to conclude, I want to make sure that I understand you right. A COVID Mitch in March is in a lot worse shape than a COVID Mitch in August, assuming the same dosage of acquiring the virus. Right. If you're going to get sick and assuming you had the same dose or amount of virus that you got, I think you, your odds of surviving are much better in the hospital okay. today than it was Worth. three or four months got ago. It, got it. You're terrific. We love you. Uh, Dr. Eric Ding, follow him on Twitter. He's terrific. He, he'll even tweet like at 4 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, East Coast time, <laughs> which is where he is. Uh, it's great to visit with you. Thank, for, thank you for squeezing us in. Let's talk in a couple of weeks or a month's time. Thanks so much, Eric. Sure. Stay safe. Bye-bye. There he is, our buddy, Dr. Eric Ding, who thinks that our healthcare workers might have a vaccine by the end of 2020, the early months of 2021, and then mass produced maybe by the first quarter, the end of the first quarter, second quarter of 2021. I always look forward to my conversations with Jordan Flowers, even the ones on the golf course. Jordan, what's going on with the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage these days? It is busy times right now, Mitch. Everybody is fielding calls left and right, doing pre-approvals for buyers, lowering people's interest rates, hoping people get cash for home improvement projects or paying off any debt. It is a busy time. People are setting records. Give us a sense of the real estate inventory, pending sales numbers. Can you tell us where we are in the midst of all this? Yeah, it's it's interesting what's going on right now. We weren't sure how it was going to play out with COVID coming in and uh, what people would be doing with listings and selling their home and buying, but it really has not skipped a beat. Uh, There might have been a little slowdown in March, but every realtor I'm talking to is expecting kind of a second spring market, and we're already seeing that in action. Inventory is sitting at about 1.8 months, which basically means if no new inventory came on, there'd only be about a month and a half of homes that could be purchased. So you're seeing a lot of offers, very competitive situation, prices escalating. 
So if you are thinking about selling, actually, it would be a great time to connect with your realtor, or if you want to get connected with some of the top realtors in town, please call me and I can connect people with them. It doesn't hurt to find out what the property is worth right now and what you might be able to get for it if you've been thinking about selling and moving somewhere else. It's a great time. And Jordan, if I'm a buyer or if I'm looking at a refinance and I've got great credit, what numbers am I looking at at this moment for a 30-year fixed? Yeah, again, all dependent upon down payment, credit scores, but we are looking in the high twos and low threes right now on a 30-year fixed. And if I want to learn more about any of the things that you just talked about, I can call you directly, right? Please call me directly. Somebody will answer in the office or you can call my cell phone directly. Cell phone is 425-890-2957. And the office line is 425-250-3145. Perfect. That's Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. a lengthy episode 102 because we had to get in a a very long and large and convoluted conversation about Jamal Adams and then we had three guests so did I lose you on any of the do you 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 feel like you you understand my thought process on evaluating whether the trade was a good one for the Seahawks or not I'm right there with you all right I got you that brings us to the other stuff segment and I'll kind of hand you the ball Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. does that do anything for you yeah, yes. And it's not about Roy Jones Jr. <laughs> Why? I just want to see that guy in the ring again. Who, Tyson? Yeah. Yeah. Why the hell not? 54 and 51. Did you think Roy Jones Jr. was 51? I thought he was younger for some reason. Uh, Does that sound about right to you? It sounds about right to me, yeah. All right, well, on September 12th at Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. Are they really going to fight? They're, they're calling it. Now, this is my only. Exhibition. Yeah, I don't want to hear the word exhibition. But then again, I don't want them getting but hurt. But I got I to remind you that in the. In the uh, Yvonne Drago. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Somebody died. In the uh, Apollo Creed, Creed exhibition. That's that could true. It could be barbaric. <laughs> Those things can get out of hand. I forgot a guy died in an exhibition. How about, how about, the, uh, how about the Sylvester Stallone um, Thunderlips? Oh, the ultimate male. How about that? That was supposed to, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and hit you here. Are you okay? You yeah, all right? Yeah, and yeah. then he just picked him up and almost killed him, for God's sake. Meatball. So, so I, that's right. <laughs> and then he wanted a picture with his family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exhibitions can be still very, very, very. Are you going to watch this? Were you, are you going yes. to pay money for it? Oh, how much do you have to pay? It's not clear how much it's going to be, but it, it's a, a, a company yeah, called... I said, Triller. Well, I, I want to know, know a little bit more about it before I make that decision. I want to know how much I got to pay. I want to know, are they wearing headgear? Not not clear. Okay, if know. they're wearing headgear, I'm out. Okay. Headgear. You want to see them like beat the crap out of each other. No, no, I'm not saying I want to see them beat the crap, right. but I'm not going to pay $40 to watch two old men with oversized gloves and headgear on laugh the whole time. I'm not going to do that. So I don't, I, I'm not saying that that's the okay. case, but that's my, that's my opinion on it. All right. Now, you know, the, this undercard, you have to hear this undercard. They already have the undercard. When, what's the date on this? This is September 12th. It's coming up. It's coming up. Yes. Yeah. And it's on something called Start Triller. Triller's like a TikTok, uh, like somebody, it's like same as TikTok sort of. It's just on the platform. Yeah. They're making a big splash. I heard they paid over a hundred million dollars to get this fight. So it could be a hundred bucks for this thing. Who knows? But oh. you're going to have to stream it on, on Triller. Now this undercard. I thought this was undercard. Like there's several bouts on the undercard well, already. There's one for sure. I thought I was, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Yeah. All right. Nate Robinson <laughs> from the Huskies. God. Yes. And the NBA is going to fight a YouTuber named 
what's his name again? It doesn't it's matter. I wouldn't, Paul. Know, I yeah. wouldn't know him. It's, uh, it doesn't matter. Nate Robinson is fighting on the undercard Jake, of the Mike Tyson is the story. It's Jake, not who he's fighting. Yeah, but Jake Paul's a he's like a really famous YouTuber. Oh. Really famous. Why? Do they have, they have a beef with one another it's, or what? I don't know how any of this came together. No one seems I don't to know. know. I mean, Why if, Nate Robinson? Well, he's never boxed in his life. Well, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, wouldn't put it by, I wouldn't put it by Nate Robinson to be good at anything athletic. That's exactly right. But again, I mean, come on. It's not the 20- guy was a, could, have been a, could have been an NFL football player, I yeah. think. He started for a year at corner. He was good, wasn't yeah, he? Sure. Maybe a little undersized. Yeah, 5'9". Won the dunk contest a few times. Come on. I'm not putting no. I, I I put all my money on Nate Rob. If it's a true fight, I put all my money. I don't even know who the YouTuber is. Well, Jake money Jake on. Paul's a guy who who's he's fought a couple times against another YouTuber, so he has some yeah. boxing. But I mean, yeah. Nate, Nate Robinson, yeah. Who wants to bet against that guy? I told you I played him in horse for like on the air. Yeah. Um, he didn't even use his right hand, and he never missed a shot. I mean, he's just that kind of whatever he does, freakishly he's just freakish. Athletic, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I can't wait to watch. I want to watch both these fights. I can't wait. Are you gonna buy it? We'll see how much. What do you is. want me to buy it and have you over? Well, I don't. I, I could just see you trying to figure out how to stream Triller on your big screen. I don't know how that's gonna happen. I got Max Levy. Max, <laughs> that's true. But he may no. Will he be at college by then? September. No. Nah. Because once he goes, he's not allowed back in the house. That's no, what the vaccine. Right? Yeah. All right. Once he goes, that's it. So yeah, craziest okay. story I've read. Nate Robinson's gonna be. Win Harrelson Wilson. Yes. Congratulations, baby boy. Yeah. Sierra sang happy birthday to him on Twitter and on. Instagram or whatever. Russell Wilson is a is a father again. Win Harrison Wilson. That's you like his, that name? It feels like you're putting us some uh, high expectations on the kid to be good and stuff. <laughs> his name is Win for God's sake. Win. What just if he's win, a loser? Baby. What if he doesn't like sports? Uh, you know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm happy for him. It's great. You too. always bring the RIPs up. I'm bringing up a uh, welcome to the world. The opposite of a rest in peace. How about that? I like it. Okay. The first you're out of here call, I don't know if you saw this, of the 2020 MLB, MLB season so far. Love it. Was in St. Louis. And oh, it, it was the usual. Not the, not the one that I'm talking about. Or was it the one I'm talking well, about? Well, it's the usual face-off where they get each other's. Both of them went for their masks and put their masks on, and then they started yelling at each other. I have it on my list. So 2020, I isn't totally it? <laughs> have it on my list. Pirates manager Derek Shelton That's wasn't right. happy that home plate umpire Jordan Baker rejected Derek Holland. So he calmly put on his mask and went out to argue. So great. Yeah, I know. It's so 2020. The ump then calmly put on his mask and the two had their argument. (laughs) And then a guy on a bike rode by and said, get your masks off. How about Anthony Rizzo? Did you see Anthony Rizzo of the Chicago Cubs on Friday night? No. Guy from the Brewers gets a base hit, circles first, goes back to first. Just before the next pitch, Rizzo goes over him, goes with his hand in his back pocket, pulls out some Purell and offers the guy some Purell. Is that right? Puts his hand out. (laughs) Gives him some hand sanitizer. Everything is so (laughs) weird right now. It's just, who would have ever thought? It is nice to have baseball back, though. I've been enjoying it. LA Clipper, Lou Williams. Oh, see, you're stealing all All my Go ahead, hit it. I got more. Go ahead. I love this story, or don't I love this story? Because I'm a Clippers fan. He admitted to NBA security that he visited Magic City Strip Club in Atlanta on Thursday night while he was excused from the NBA bubble to to attend a a family member's memorial service. My favorite line of all this, he said, uh, I was at the Gentleman's Club for a short time to pick up dinner after the funeral. Everybody Wait. knows, ask any of my team, teammates what my favorite restaurant in Atlanta is. Ain't nobody partying. <laughs> there were no entertainers. Chill out. LOL. Yes, we've all, we all think of strip clubs so, for the best food in town, so right? So the NBA, oh, the reason why this is a story, by the way, I don't know if you know why this is a story. The NBA 
would have typically said, okay, you've got to quarantine when you come back for like two or three days if he had gone to the funeral. But now that they're finding out that he was at a gentleman's club, the quarantine might be two weeks. They may say, oh, no, you were in a, you were in a gentleman's club. Oh. You, you got you to gotta sit out for two weeks of the NBA season. So they're, he says, this is my favorite restaurant. I, there's what? no entertainers. It's my yes, favorite restaurant. We all get takeout from strip clubs. All right. All right you, you beat me to the punch. Le'Veon Bell is pissed off at Jamal Adams. I don't know if you're following this. A little bit, yes. He says that, <clears throat> that, that Jamal Adams was one of the big reasons he went to New York. Jamal Adams recruited him to come sign as a free agent. And then right after he did, he got in a fight and forced his way out. <laughs> He jumped off the he jumped off the uh, the Titanic on yes. its way down. So yeah, um, they had a Twitter a little Twitter battle. I'll spare you the details, but well, it was uh, Jamal Adams ended it with, well not ended it, but he did. I'm saying I'll see you on week see, fourteen. See you in week fourteen. You forget they were playing playing the Jets. And then Le'Veon Bell says after see you in week fourteen. No, oh he says noted see you in week fourteen. And Bell says back to him on Twitter noted what? L- Lol that you lied. <laughs> Please trust that it is noted then, and I'm I'm supposed to, I'm, and I, if I'm supposed to take see you in week fourteen as a threat, yeah. I don't. <laughs> but it's still all love, and like I told you on the phone, I want the best for you. If this is the best for you, I want it for you, bro. So he's mad that Jamal Adams said, "Come on to New York, yeah, come yeah. on to New York." Okay, I'm leaving. I'll say, take care. <laughs> I hope you I'm like it. <laughs> yeah. All right. I have three RIPs. Three. Three. I'll I'll bang. Well, let me these. let me start with an R, a different kind of a, a different kind of an RIP. Not okay. that the guy died, but say goodbye to Justin Verlander. Oh, that's right. Out for the year. Katie that. Katie Upton's husband, who I had to see his his bare rear end in the mirror shot. I can't get it out of my mind. Remember the mirror shots? Oh, I didn't watch that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm not that kind of guy. Oh, I did dear. see someone on Twitter say, I can't believe that he's still having elbow issues when he's married to Kate Upton. Uh, the jokes are not not ending with no. this. So now now the guy no. gets paid, what, $30 million a year to stay home with Kate Upton? Yeah, he pitched one game <laughs> against the Mariners. <laughs> That's torture. So he did one minor league game. God, uh, right, exactly. <laughs> and now he's out for the year. Now he gets to quarantine with yeah. Kate Upton. Yeah. Poor fella. Go ahead with your Two-time Oscar winner, Olivia de Havilland. She's the last surviving member of Gone with the Wind. She passed away at 104. Okay, she did okay. Ooh, 104. That's a yeah. pretty nice life. She did FMC. Station. Appeared <laughs> appeared in 49 feature films and was one of the leading actresses of her time. R.I.P. to Regis Philbin. No. Oh, you didn't hear that one? No. Yeah, he passed away from cardiovascular disease, from heart disease, at age 88. So most of I us... I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. Bummer. When did you find that out? When, when did that happen? I think uh, on Saturday. Uh, Must have been playing in the golf tournament. Or Sunday. I did not know that Regis Philbin passed away. And it's, it's one of those things God, where. You normally don't catch me by surprise. I'm, I'm like, how I don't many, know why. I don't, that, that hurts. It does, yeah. I like Regis <clears throat> Philbin. Great. He seems like the greatest guy. What about guy Cody? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things we've talked about where you see Regis is trending and, and then you go, oh no, and you click it, but it's usually never, they, not never, but usually they didn't die. Yeah. Well, this was one of them. I saw him trending. I click on it and he passed away. Oh, I'm so most sorry of to us, hear that. Yeah, I know. Most of us know him from uh, Regis and Kathy or of Regis course. and Kelly, right? But yeah. He was also, who wants to be a millionaire? The, uh, the original when it came out. Remember when? Oh yeah, sure. Him? He was the original, uh, you know, is that your final answer? Yeah. Final answer. He's called the hardest working man in show business because he holds the Guinness World Record for the most hours on U.S. television. How about that? And he's also a huge. Sorry to hear that. Huge Notre Dame football fan. Yes, I know that. Graduated from there in 1953. And he was married twice with four kids. His second wife, Joy, and he were married 50 years. He used to talk about Joy on. Not that I I never watched it. (laughs) What about Cody? (laughs) 
50 years, though, they were married. Good yeah. for him. He's got four kids. You a Kathy Lee Crosby fan? What about Cody? Kathy Lee Gifford. Gifford, yeah. But there was a Kathy Lee Crosby. Uh, she's not Kathy Lee Crosby. Kathy Lee Gifford. Did Kathy you, Gifford. Were you, were you a Kathy Lee Gifford fan? Uh, of her or of the show? Because I'm not of either. Her. Nah, she kind of annoyed me. Well, didn't, wait, didn't she do a show with Hoda after that? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Kathy. Not that I would know. About <laughs> I was in there drinking wine all morning. I don't know. All right, last one. Yeah. You're good, probably not going to know the name, but you'll definitely uh, recognize John Saxon. He was an actor. All right, well, I know him as Donald Thompson in A Nightmare on Elm Street. He was Lieutenant Don. You trust me, you would know this guy's face. He was also an yeah, ent- enter the actor. Yeah, total character actor. He was yeah. an Enter the Dragon with Bruce How old? Lee. How old? He was 83 years old, and I'm gonna. Sh- I, I have to show you his face because I'll be shocked if you don't know who this guy is. I mean, okay. you watch movies, right? Yeah, I do. John says. Yeah, uh, yeah he. I, I feel like he's either a cop or he's either a bad guy. He he. he could, Not like Brian Dennehy. He could he could play yeah like Brian Dennehy. Sort yeah. Of. All right. Let's see if does that guy look familiar? Oh sure. He was sure. I, I I look at him as a TV like a an hour long TV guy. He was in tons of TV shows. Yeah, like still yeah, do like, six episodes on yeah, Dynasty. A bad guy or something. Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, you, you recognize that he? face. Eighty three years mm. old. So rest in peace to John okay. Saxon. Is that Dale. it for you? That's it for me. I mean, I got one final one, but that's it for the RIPs. Go ahead. Huh? Oh, is it my turn? No. Oh. Yeah. Well, I had one. I was going to give you an athlete of the week. Go ahead. Nah. Athlete of the week. Have you heard of the name Laurent? Duvernay Tardif. Do you know who that is? No. The Kansas City Chiefs starting offensive, I believe, right guard. Okay. Who is saying thank you, but no thank you to the 2020 football season. He's opting out as they've been given, the players have been given the right to do. They each get a 350, he gets a $350,000 stipend. That's a hell of a stipend. Uh, I think it was $350 stipend, $350,000. forty bucks and I went to Burbank. He gets a stipend. And the reason he's pulling out, the, and he's the star, starting offensive lineman on the world champion right. Chiefs, is he's a Canadian player who attended medical school at McGill. He has spent the offseason working as an orderly at a long-term care facility in Quebec. Ooh. He wrote that this is one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made or ever had to make, but he cannot allow himself to potentially transmit the virus in our communities simply to play the sport that I love. So Duvernay Tardif, or Tardif, is, uh, is passing on the 2020 football season. And I think that that's a really admirable thing to do. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Think about how long your NFL career is. Right. When you give up a year, it's not like you giving up a year of your 35-year radio career. That's right. You know, <laughs> you, like Tepper saying, I'm going to pass on what you, he's got well, another 20 years, for right? Three, for 350, I would have passed all day long. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you start you start passing on an NFL year as an offensive lineman. I don't know. I'd say any, I'd say any tenth, maybe it's ten percent of his of his career, eight percent of his career. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty heady stuff. Smart guy, gonna be a doctor. Clearly smart. Saying, guy. hey, this is not for me as much as I'd like to be back protecting Pat Mahomes. Right, not gonna happen. So there you go. Well, good for him. There you go. All right. done? Yeah, we're done. I'll save this for another one. I, I, I'm not gonna do better than that. I'm not doing bad. I mean, it's, it's, okay, try it. Athlete of the week. No? Come on, try By it. By the way, someone sent you a, there's a slap, a slap game and a slapping. Have you downloaded it no. yet? No. 
That looks kind of cool, though. It looks pretty sweet. I, I don't have time. I'm too busy playing uh, Trivia Royale. I was going to say, you don't have time. Good God. You haven't had a job in five years. What the hell are you doing? I'm, I'm with you. This isn't a job? <laughs> Having to deal with you twice a week? While en route to a 911 call about a male subject running down the roadway completely nude and hitting passing vehicles with his hands, oh, God. cops received a second call about a residential burglary, burglary in progress in the same Owensboro neighborhood. Upon arriving at the home around 1.30 a.m., officers encountered John Stephanopoulos standing in the residence. The 41-year-old who does not live there was completely naked and had a substantial amount of blood and mud all over his body. This guy, this guy ended up rushing the cops after ignoring orders to get on the ground. He was then tasered and handcuffed. Now, getting tasered completely naked, you're asking for it. That's, I mean, that could end really badly for you if that guy has bad aim uh-huh. or good aim if he wants to be a jerk. Uh-huh. So after he was being read his rights, he kept repeating that he used hallucinogenic mushrooms no. with, with Jesus. Really? That's what he said. Who's the supplier? And, <laughs> and the duo had played a virtual reality video game. Really? So, a virtual reality yeah, video So him and Jesus were high on mushrooms okay. playing a video game. Okay. Yeah, he was arrested for an assortment of offenses, including indecent exposure, burglary, public intoxication, all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've heard of people. Uh. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard of people being high for Jesus, but never high with Jesus. <laughs> Still unclear why the man was so testy. Uh. I recycled that one, but not everyone's a patron, you know. Video games, getting high, and... Is this and Steve Dion's work or your work? <laughs> no, I've cut Steve out of my... I've cut, uh, cut, I, I had to fire my, uh, uh, my writer. Uh, yeah. Video games, getting high, and Jesus Christ? I think I like this new Holy Trinity a little better. That'll offend somebody, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Getting tased completely naked? Not my idea of a stimulus package. There you go. That's it. Naked men running down the street. 102, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed it. It's in the books.